Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, where we usually have a really complicated intro, but we've been in lockdown so long, we don't even care anymore. My name's <laughs> so Doug, and my, favorite, <laughs> and my favorite comfort viewing over lockdown has been Pieces. Um, my name is Darren, and uh, my favorite lockdown comfort film is Last Starfighter. Nice. Okay. Nice. And I'm Steve, and my favorite lockdown comfort film has been the greatest movie of all time, Singing in the Rain. Nice. Oh, yeah. I, I, so, I think a piece is Last Starfighter Singing in the Rain triple feature. <laughs> if we if we could um ever if we ever get to return to cinemas again, I think that would bring them in by the uh, single digits. Absolutely. <laughs> but Moses supposes erroneously. Yeah. Especially <laughs> if you played them in that order. Play pieces first, then well, last starfighter. See how many people make it through to singing in the rain. Yeah. Actually be, be like the three of us. <laughs> pieces singing in the rain last starfighter just for maximum like because there would be some people who would be like cool with pieces in last starfighter but would be like oh, singing in the rain it's musical. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, even though it has been your answer to like five of these opening prompts, I think. (laughs) Well, oddly enough, this was the first time I actually got my son to sit down and watch Singing in the Rain as well. And what did he think? He didn't want to enjoy it, but he did. (laughs) He was kind of, oh, you know, it's an old film. It's a musical. And then by the end of it, he was, I could tell he was quite drunk. And then he said that wasn't bad, which for him was high praise because he's 13 now. So that's high praise for a teenager. Oh, nice. excellent! Yeah, I um I showed uh, me mum uh, last Starfighter. It's um and the whole way through it was oh I haven't seen this before oh no hang on I think I oh no I don't remember oh <laughs> I finally convinced her that she'd seen it if she had seen it it was 1985 and she's probably <laughs> forgotten it by now. <laughs> And I watched Pieces all by myself because I am the only person in this house who would watch a film called Pieces, much less <laughs> one that is as gruesome and incompetent as the Jean Picard Simon disaster piece that I hope you both know and love. I, I still seen it. Yeah, oh. I literally saw the poster come up on, I think, Tubi the other day, and I nearly watched it, but I couldn't remember whether I'd actually seen it or not. But I may have confused it with Torso, which is another piece. Torso, I think I haven't seen, but I think resembles a movie made by a human intelligence. And so, <laughs> therefore, it's nothing like pieces. Um, it, oh, Steve, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, one for me then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Darren will like it too, but like, yeah, this, this is um, from all my heart, all my sincerity, you will love pieces. Excellent. Or you'll watch it and be like, oh yeah, this one, this is this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh. interesting because of course we as you say, we've been in lockdown so long that you know we're, we're at the moment. I mean, not for compared to overseas with you know countries were locked down for a year and a half, but for us, I mean it's coming on what nine to ten weeks we're heading towards now. This and this was this was tenth week. Tenth week. Yeah. And then it's really becoming the stage where you start going through your list of, of things and then you just kind of there's days when I'm not motivated and have enough energy to actually even watch more than one movie, which for me is, is it feels that I'm, you know, sliding into a, some sort of lockdown mini depression that I can't sit down and watch four or five movies. Cause I used to watch four or five movies on a weekend every weekend Yeah, because I had a bunch of guys around there making jokes about them all the time. So yeah. at the moment it's kind of, you watch two movies. It's like, yeah, there we go. That's my two movies for the day. But um, man, you know, I, there's been some movies that I've really missed. Um, 
the experience of watching with people. I watched The Trip, which just dropped on uh, Netflix with Numi Rapace, and I forget the male actor's name, but the guy from his, uh, Headhunters. And it's directed by the guy who directed Dead Snow, Tommy Workola. And it's a bit reprehensible, but um, <laughs> it would have, um, if it had been an incredibly strange screening at the Hollywood or something, there are, there are at least half a dozen, you know, fist pump cheer moments in that film. And, you know, they just quietly, you know, unfolded in our living room. Um, oh, and even, wow. Yeah. It's, um, I've managed to see a few films that I, I would think would be greatly enhanced with a group, but I still still enjoyed the crap out of them, It's uh, which I might even talk about later on, if you hang around for a couple of hours. We only have our three specific movies to talk about, so might, we might keep it under an hour and a half today. We might, we, you know, we, we might not go <laughs> you two and a half hour Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, no I'm, restraint directorial uh, captain. Don't, don't lull the listener into a false sense of security. <laughs> They've I'm already from... seen the runtime of this. They know more than we do. Um, <laughs> they, they know just how little our respect extends to their patients. Gosh, they've already seen into the future. Wow. Mm. Our listener is great. <laughs> Thanks, listener. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm going to just go straight into semi-self-promotional mode here. And Skeet, you can follow with that as well. But um, the uh, <laughs> New Zealand Film Festival, we would have, or at least I probably would have been at the Civic tonight uh, watching Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog debut with 2,000 people in a room uh, under different circumstances, which are not these circumstances. So uh, when the film festival uh, got canceled, and there was no online or postponement or any kind of alternative. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I rushed to put together something called the Auckland Online Film Festival, which I thought um, I might be able to get 20 people, you know, sort of vaguely interested about watching a couple films off a list I put on Letterboxd. And um, sort of improbably, it's taken off a little bit. Um, you know, Fuchs is got them behind it and I got like 13 guest curators and got 195 films. So if you're just hearing about it now, which is if you're our one listener, you probably already know about it, but tinyurl.com slash AOFF 2021. And it's, it's literally got everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. And uh, I will talk about an example of one of those ridiculous films that I've been trying without success to get Skeet to watch for a while and uh, <laughs> is is basically the room slash Miami connection of uh, AOFF 2021 and, and one that I don't want to watch by myself I want to watch this with a bunch of people because you mentioned the title several times and I really yeah. want a bunch of people in the room to enhance that experience of watching something that sounds as good slash and terrible as this Cool. So I, I won't talk about that film as much then uh, first, because I'll start with a film that will make you hopefully feel a little better that you're not at a film festival, which is <laughs> uh, was hard to find. I actually found two. Uh, one was a documentary called Narrowsburg on Doc Play about when an actor who was formerly a gangster moves to a little town in New York and declares that this little town of Narrowsburg is going to be the next Sundance. And uh gets the whole little town in music man style on board with the dreams with the help of his lover this french woman from la who's run film festivals there and um wow 
Yeah, Sounds and interesting. Yeah, and and it goes into some of the you know, it goes some directions you'd expect, some directions you wouldn't. Um, so there's that one, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, one of my favorite little discoveries, and it's not. Um, it's it's a low budget American indie. It's really charming. It's really accessible. It's called Film Fest, and it's about this director uh, who dreamt of getting his film called Unknown Unknowns into Sundance, and his producer invites him out and says, "Look, we've got into a festival. It's the Holly Wild International Film Festival of Cinema." Um, <laughs> and it, it seems like the fictional equivalent of the um, Narrowsburg Film Festival, except that it's happening in a woodland town, and um, and they they eventually the the four of the people from the production go out there and meet a lot of other people who were the lucky um, prize winning films to be accepted there because when you get accepted to the Holly Wild International Film Festival of Cinema everyone gets a prize and at one point they show the um uh table of trophies where there's one for best font among other things <laughs> uh, Love and, it. and it's um for anyone who's lived in film circles before you'll recognize not not necessarily literally but you'll recognize many of the personalities um and you'll recognize just the incredible um it's also quite unsparing it it it's very uh you know it doesn't make the director out to be a wronged hero or anything he, there's a lot of um sort of curb your enthusiasm silicon valley kind of vibe and there is one there's one plot point that i was kind of like oh i'm not sure how this is going to play out i'm not sure how i like it and it's like no the director has a of the of the actual film not the one inside the film has more respect than i thought they did for his audience and um yeah so it's just a super you know it's just a good chill out american indie film that can get you in the mood for not being at a film fest oh very cool nice. and if you know the comedian will sasso he's the head of said film fest who also runs his oh, own wow. podcast amongst uh, many of his other film-related enterprises, all of which he goes to lengths to publicize during the film. Ah, he of Mad TV and the Faux Curly from Three Stooges. Well, not Faux Curly, but... uh, (laughs) The the Curly-esque. Yeah, he he played Curly in the the Three Stooges remake movie that the Farrelly's did, I think it was. Right. Which is actually a surprisingly fun film. Color me surprised. Not something that I would sit down and watch myself. I was never a, a Three Stooges fan, particularly, and you know, fearing re- modern remake and Farrelly Brothers in the same sentence uh, would be like, mm, yeah, maybe not. I've seen some Farrelly Brothers movies and didn't particularly enjoy them, but you know, yeah, if, uh, obviously uh, you enjoyed that one, so that's good. <laughs> never went across my radar. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> I just love hearing you look down at a movie, Steve. Yeah, I know. It's so you weird. You enjoyed a Pirelli Brothers movie. That's okay. With all the classic stuff that I was <laughs> I mean, yeah, And yeah. how often is it a movie that I mentioned, Steve, that you choose to look down upon? Yeah. It's, and I, 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 you know, I like to keep an open mind. So if, if I was to run across that movie, for instance, if you were to play it, then I would probably watch it. And if it was like any other Pirelli Brothers movies I'd seen, I might take a walk for 45 minutes or so and come back. But. <laughs> I thought you were going to say if you were to run across this movie with a truck. <laughs> uh, potentially, you know. 
Yeah, but I mean, the, the classiness in my, in my uh, household extends the fact that when Doug did his online film festival, of course, and said, you know, he was looking for contributions, I immediately went uh, to the the very alternate online New Zealand International Film Festival, uh, which is the one that I set up myself, basically looking for the sort of things that would never play at a film festival or, you know, wouldn't play at Doug's film festival. Although Doug, some of the Doug stuff in there has got that incredibly strange vibe, but I tried to, to book a, a film festival for my kind of uh, sensibility. But going oh God, to the Chatterbox isn't playing, is it? The, the what's run? Sorry? Chatterbox isn't playing, is it? The box. Chatterbox. 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 Oh, sorry. You kept, uh, you know, I kept dropping you out for a second there. So I could hear was the box, the box. And I'm just like, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> No, we don't want to know when it comes fan. to Chatterbox. <laughs> Chatterbox, for those who haven't seen Chatterbox, uh, don't. Uh, <laughs> it is a movie about a woman with a singing hoo-ha, and that's all we'll say about that. I basically booked it as if I was actually would have been playing Hang in theatre. That's not all we'll say about that. We'll say that uh, during a birthday marathon, you played that um, as our, um, as we were having our, our um, evening meal, I it think. Was, it was unfortunate timing, I would say, especially since the pizza guy turned up while our song and dance number was happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, so my, my alternate film festival is, uh, I basically booked it as if I was going into cinemas, which it never would, because most of these movies I picked aren't probably even available on streaming. There's, there's you know, a number of them I found, you know, in very dodgy sources such as YouTube and not very good quality. But, uh, for instance, my opening night film would be Rock and Roll High School, where they required two-drink minimum. Uh, there'd be a special screening of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, 1974, with a live score by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, if we could afford <laughs> it. Spoiler, we can't. <laughs> and a local showcase, including such things as Ghost Shark 2 Urban Jaws, uh, which will be very familiar to the person that wrote it. <laughs> yes, and the person who filmed a um, famous deleted scene with three of the um, actors in famous disaster pieces, including one that I've already mentioned. <laughs> Indeed. And I mean, I, but it is a film festival, so I did have to put in a section called Skin Flicks for the Artsy Set, because I know a lot of people go to film festivals for their gratuitous full frontal nudity. Uh, so you'd have a choice between Emmanuel. for the laughs. <laughs> exactly. You can say for you can choose between Emmanuel, the Devil's Plaything, or Felicity, uh, one of our all-time favourite. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, once again, if you haven't seen those ones, get yourself a dirty raincoat. Uh, don't tell anyone you're watching it, and enjoy. Or you know you're at home, so <laughs> <laughs> the dirty raincoat is still required for Emmanuel. I, I think this is the most thing about you about your film festival is that you don't have to leave the house for it. Exactly. It's and I mean that's where some of the ones in there. You know, I was I was really looking around for a couple of ones that would possibly play film festivals. So things like Jiro Dreams of Sushi and the God of Cookery and the uh, the sort of culinary section that I had put aside. But I also found one which is on YouTube, and I really have to have a look at it at some stage when we can actually get together. It's called Hanuman and the Five Cayman Riders, and uh, it looks utterly insane because it's a Kamen Rider or Kamen Rider film, uh, basically. Japanese uh, mix and robots and monsters, but it's a Thai bootleg of a Japanese concept. Oh. Right. And it's on YouTube and not particularly good quality, but it is something that I think at some stage we have to watch because it looks pretty much one of the most bonkers things I've seen in a long time, just a couple of minutes. 
that I had a look at it. I think it was aimed at children, but um, I think it could be enjoyed by idiots of all ages, frankly. So that puts us in there. Talking about aimed with children, uh, aimed at children. Uh, before we go away from Felicity, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a um, an Australian skin flick, by the way, it's. Um, I do be- believe that um, George Miller was meant to be one of the original directors of that movie. Wow. I'm I... pretty sure he was involved or was meant to be involved. So it might have, it was going to be one of his earlier movies. It's I'm a... just really surprised at how many skin flicks you guys have watched in my absence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not that we plan it when you're, when you're not there. It's just, you know, you turn up, you bring some classy stuff. So, you know, we watch, we watch that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Felicity is, I think... I did bring virgins most... from hell, mind. <laughs> you did do that. That is true. One of the <laughs> earliest things you bought over as well. So you gave me a real, you know, false sense of what you were going to be bringing over <laughs> the next 10 years. Oh, and, and Zombie Lake, though. Let's, that was uh... not my fault. That, <laughs> that was the opposite of my fault. No, that, that was my fault. And uh, I'll end up Zombie Lake now just be released on beautiful Blu-ray. So um, if you want a super high-definition quality of the worst zombie movie ever filmed, then you, I've already got it. <laughs> well, call me when it's in 4K. Uh, I don't want to know until then. <laughs> yeah, Felicity is, is one of those films which is it's basically smut that you could show your grandma because it's, it's one of the most innocently plotted smutty films of the 1970s. It's just, it, it feels no, nice the whole time. If you've got a racy grandmother, I mean, there is still quite a lot of... Um, <laughs> quite a, a lot of untoward activity. Yeah, um, but if you compare it to Emmanuel, which has a scene where a woman smokes a cigar, a cigarette from the same place that Chatterbox uh, son from, <laughs> um, then you can really see the difference between those two. I'm, I'm really surprised when I did watch Emmanuel, just how it is. Once again, it's it's beautifully shot. It's absolutely beautiful, you know, and it uh, and it's amazing locations. And then near the end, it suddenly gets into Tide bar girls and a rape scene, and it's like I don't really know why this was quite as popular as it was. It played on the theater in the Champs Elysees for, I believe, eighteen consecutive years. Because, what? Yeah, it just right. kept playing. It played into the nineteen. Well, it is hard to find French films that have nudity in them. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, it's true, but <laughs> <laughs> it's the mouth trap of porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an image for you. <laughs> Well, it, it just occurred to me we could do a ludicrously specific of uh, it's uh, smoking a cigarette out of there. There's the um, there's the is it Devil's Honey where uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where there is um, a symphonic goings on. Um, I'm, I'm not really not up for that anymore. The brass section there is is is, and I'll put the poster up for it if, just to explain that one. But it's <laughs> it, it does put you off John Philip Sousa music for life, quite frankly. <laughs> I can't think of a third one and I actually don't want to <laughs> well now that we've lost our listeners shall we just uh, go on and hear what you've been watching with your mother which presumably does not be- include something that will be the third uh, in this trilogy <laughs> oh right well a challenge huh um, actually Okay, let's let's go for um, a real scurrilous one. Kiss me, Kate, and I'm ah. not seeing where Ooh. they're kissed. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it's um, 
It's a great MGM um, musical. It was actually filmed in 3D, and it uh, stars Howard Keel and some other people, um, as as they do. Um, and it's uh, about a, a production of a musical version of Taming of the Shrew. And the um, goings-on um, behind the scenes are, again, of course, the same story of Taming of the Shrew as it is on stage. And it's a lot of fun. So there's multiple uh, shrews to be tamed, is what you're saying? Um, well, no, it's the same one. It's just... Uh, oh, I see. Same, same shrew behind the scenes. Yeah, different tamings. Okay. But it's oh, uh, yeah, one that really I came very close to watching just recently. Has Ian in it as well, and he's excellent. He he play, has a a great song and dance uh, moment. But uh, yeah, it's a very fun film. Yeah, as I was saying, I, I came very close to actually seeing this just recently for reasons that have become clear when I start talking about uh, my movies. But because I have watched an awful lot of musicals uh, in the last ten weeks. Uh, but it's actually one that we uh, put on the back burner and still haven't got around to seeing. So I, it's definitely on my list of, of you know, 50s to 60s musicals that I should uh, get around to watching. I do kind of know it because they, I believe um, they did some Brush Up Your Shakespeare, I think is from that one, which I remember yes. hearing. Yes, Keenan Wynn. I think our school choir did uh, a, or it was a small sort of mini production where they did a bit of Kiss Me Kate in that, and I remember that song quite clearly. Yep, that's Keenan Wynn's song. Um, him and his um, his gangster cohort sing "Brush Up Your Shakespeare." There's some, of, yeah, there's some great songs in there actually. One of the last films I saw on the big screen before this all went to pot, um, apart from Annette, which is a whole different kind of musical, uh, is uh, West Side Story. And um, just I guess the thing that I always feel about those that era of fifties musicals is they're always so much better on the big screen. Um, I mean, West side story in particular has such panorama and depth, but those giant musical numbers and stuff is music man one like that, or does it survive the kind of home translation? Okay. Music man. Um, or not music man. Sorry. Kiss me, Kate. <laughs> if you just <laughs> want to talk man's about music man. No music man's in Narrowsburg. That's why I got <laughs> And and of course Robert Preston, who stars in Music Man, is in Last Starfighter. We've missed uh, you, IMDb. <laughs> Welcome to ludicrously convoluted. <laughs> it's always been that way. Um, yeah, Kiss Me, Kate. Actually, I mean the uh, the screen I'm watching it on um, at mum, at uh, Mum's place is a uh, sixty inch, so it looks oh, right. amazing. Well, I mean, I noticed the poster on the IMDb has in very large letters, big musical in 3D on a panoramic screen with miraculous stereophonic sound. So they were obviously going for filling that theatre. I mean, I don't think, I can't think of any other musicals that were shot in 3D. Is there, is there any and, obvious 3D sort of moments in there? Or was it just... Uh, yes, there definitely are. Um, there's definitely some throwing things at the screen. <laughs> but the interesting thing is it's entirely on a soundstage because it's um, you've got the... Um, You've got the on stage, the behind the stage stuff. The the far the furthest out they get is is the back alley of the theatre. So it's um, it's entirely shot on a soundstage, and of course, always in those films where they um, they show a um, 
a stage play, the the um, the stage seems to go on forever. <laughs> they always have so much more depth. They can they go so much either stage left and stage right seems to go on ad infinitum. It's amazing. And all these films, they always seem to be the way. The only uh, 3D musical that I can think of is the, um, and I guess it's probably more of a dance film, but one of the step up films was uh, in 3D. So I think, there's probably something else out there. Probably somebody did a post-conversion of Cats, if we're lucky. That would have been amazing. Uh, oh, it's, it's not the 3D butthole edition, is it? No, I, I, th- I think that one's been locked away somewhere, so we, we can't see that, unfortunately. This has gone ludicrously scatological. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dame Judy Dench in 3D in a way you never wanted to see her. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Be and indeed yell. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I'm going to make things. Uh, should I make them more or less classy? Ooh. Oh, would see Go see where you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So I did. Um. So I turned. Uh. Forty eight, and I think this was since our last podcast. Um. I can't even remember anymore. I and I wish you a happy birthday over um Facebook. I think so. Um, yes. Sure. Yeah, we were in lockdown at the time. So I had this idea of watching 48 films on my 48th birthday, uh, which obviously does not mean 48 features. And just to make things more complicated, I decided to have one from every year I was alive. Um, And I got through 42 on my actual birthday proper and then six on the next day because I start. I actually wound up getting 49. I inadvertently watched two films from the same year. And that was the point where I was like, I'm going to go to bed, finish this tomorrow. <laughs> I'd watched I'd watched a couple Pixar shorts that weren't that good to try to fill in some gaps. And I'm like, nah, I'll watch some features tomorrow along with them. Um, I had a couple favorite discoveries. Um, one of them was, so the sublime one was Satoshi Khan's Millennium Actress. Um, Satoshi Khan is the uh, animator, director uh, that did uh, Paprika, Perfect Blue, um, and I'm blanking now, but there's another one of his that's really famous in addition to this. Uh, there's Tokyo Godfathers. And um, and he actually died uh, relatively early. But like Darren Aronofsky was such a fan that he licensed one of his films just so he could steal shots from it for Requiem for a Dream. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and there's and he died at like 46 or something just at like kind of, you know, a, much too young, obviously. And, and at a oh. point where everybody thought that the best things in his career were ahead of him. But despite that, he left a couple masterpieces of very different types. Paprika's quite psychedelic. Um, Perfect Blue's sort of a giallo riff um, about this actress who's hallucinating, but also being stalked by a um, killer. And uh, Tokyo Godfathers is a riff on John Ford's Three Godfathers. Um, Millennium Actress is basically... Citizen Kane with a Japanese actress on acid. Uh, so it is these two um, journalists go to interview this reclusive uh, actress who had retired. And 
find out her whole backstory and why she retired and all of these things. It turn out, turns out one of the journalists has a connection with this. But the story goes between this sit-down interview and these recreations of it, events from the past, but then moving into her actual films. And as they go into the past, the film crew will sometimes be filming in the past, and it all gets quite... It, oh, it, wow. It gets... If you stop to really break it down, it makes Christopher Nolan stuff look like C Spot Run. But in the moment, <laughs> it it just it just works. It just you know the the emotional story really cuts through. It's it's yeah, it's one that I'd been holding on to a while that I'd heard really good things about, and it's like I, I know I'm going to like this, and it's like no, I actually love this. Um, and is so, that a, a short, is it? Or, uh... that, that was one of the few features I watched. So, ah, um, But the, the short that I'm going to mention, which is the ridiculous side, is called Dr. Death. So yes, Dr. Death was one of my late, latest night choices that brought me the, the most concentrated dose of happiness I had on my entire birthday in 20 minutes. Because oh. <laughs> it is just so gleeful to watch a bunch of probably teens probably portland probably the 80s maybe super eight i'm not sure what they shot it on um postage stamps maybe um <laughs> lots of cardboard lots of explosions lots of fake oh, blood wow. lots of big ideas lots of ripping off mad max um no budget no problem it's it's <laughs> one of those um you know clearly they probably just went out and you know sold their old you know, police records or whatever, and got a couple extra bucks and, and, and it just, just one of those films whose, whose, um, zero pretension and maximum charm, uh, combined to just really, uh, make you love the filmmaking, even though it's by no means what some would consider quote unquote accomplished. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Wow. That those two were probably um, there. Were, I also watched a lot of avant-garde films, which I won't bore people with the joys of stroboscopic uh, six-minute blinding things that I happen to really like. But <laughs> where um, does Doctor Hail from? It's where, uh, where I can found we it find on Vimeo. The... It's on Vimeo. Yeah, so, I found yeah. it actually while you were talking. So and there's a, a <laughs> intro. I'm I'm the I'm the instant uh, research guy tonight. Uh, directed by Webster Colcord, who's uh, according to his little bio there now works in animation. Uh, a Super 8 movie that I shot during high school in Eugene, Oregon. Sort of a comedy horror to the uh, homage to the Road Warrior. My real inspiration was a low-budget Road Warrior knockoff movie called Metal Storm, a.k.a. Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Oh, my Lord. No. Oh, yeah. there's a 3D movie for you. <laughs> a, a remake of a ripoff. He actually a thanks the fan who tracks down the video, and the video of the fan then uh, five years later uh, says, hey, that's me. You're welcome. So he didn't actually have a copy himself. Oh, wow. Fans somehow recorded it and kept it kept it alive. So uh, that's definitely should be something to be watched, just looking at the screenshot of it. Which reminds wow. me, the reason I discovered this uh, was because uh, Bleeding Skull is on Letterboxd, and they reviewed it on Letterboxd, and uh, I actually missed it when they reviewed it. But a friend of mine caught the um, recommendation and reviewed it, and I trusted his taste. And then I went back to thank him, and he's like, oh, it's all Bleeding Skulls, because they do the lord's work and if you needed further proof they just put out boarding house on blu-ray yeah <laughs> not a movie that's that that manages to defeat uh, a low budget by just going fuck it let's do everything 
Oh, it manages to defeat defeat everything, including good taste. But my God, is it fun! <laughs> oh, we did that ages ago. To be fair. Um, <laughs> so, Scott, oh, it's not seen my turn now, is it? It's... Is it? I thought you had just done. Uh, no, it's over to me now. Cause... It's over. Yeah. It's oh, over no, me. no, it's always me. It's me next. <laughs> <laughs> Mute is Mike. Mute is Mike. <laughs> you put you put this the same way my nephew plays sh- shoots and ladders or snakes and ladders. Excuse me. <laughs> Oh, I win because I. If I don't, I just throw the board to the ground. That's that's how you play. <laughs> I, I believe that's called defaulting in uh, my household, and it was uh, I was the little brother, so that was me. Unfortunately, I know that strategy, and I know how to defeat it. I just talk very very quickly and over the top of you. So on to me. Uh, <laughs> now I've also, as I mentioned earlier, I've been watching a lot of musicals, and also for a an interesting reason, also because of my mother, because uh, about sort of. Five weeks into the lockdown, my mother went for a, uh, a brief constitutional walk around the block and unfortunately slipped on a, uh, a piece of wet concrete and managed to break one of her arms just below the shoulder. Oh, hell. Sucks. Yeah, it's yeah. not fun to do, as you can probably imagine, especially when you break it up high in the arm where you can't have it plastered. So all you can do is put it in a sling and get told you're going to have three weeks where everything is going to be pain and three weeks of recovery after that. And my mother lives alone, so we immediately brought her into our bubble, and she spent that, those three weeks of being on my couch, basically, with a cat glaring at her, uh, and what we refer to as the Darren spot, because that's normally where you sit during the movies. I'll let the cat have it. <laughs> the cat is not happy. I mean, she, she had that back after, with, with no, um, no Sunday night movies for a long time, and then she lost it again, so um, not a happy cat. Doesn't matter. But... Um, <laughs> Because of that, our, uh, our my my movie viewing had, did have to drastically change uh, over those three weeks. And since my mother likes classic movies and because she likes musical, we had uh, about a sort of an eight-day-long classic musical uh, a, a sort of session, I guess, a um, the over the over that time. And we got to see some movies. Some of them I hadn't seen before. Some I had. Uh, I was really quite uh, impressed. Oh, enough with Viva Las Vegas, uh, which I don't really dig Elvis movies, but it's Elvis and Anne Margaret, and that made it good because Anne Margaret was fucking amazing. In Viva Las Vegas. Oh yeah, she's she's. I mean, if they if they put Elvis and her together for a series of movies after that, it would have been a, a fantastic. But apparently, uh, Elvis's um, wonderful management decided he didn't want to be overshadowed by, you know, a a character like Anne Margaret taking away his screen time, so he got to you know act with a bunch of rather faceless women instead for the next couple of movies, and he made a lot of shit. And that's... man, I haven't seen that film since uh, they played that on Sunday afternoons. They played all the Elvis movies. Yeah, back I was... when I was a kid, about six or seven, I imagine it would have been. Yeah, most of them are super disposable, but Viva Las Vegas was just a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. But the other, the movie, I mean, I'll give you a little run rundown. We went Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Viva Las Vegas. I then spiked the ball with, by throwing in Kitten with a Whip. Uh, just for, <laughs> just <laughs> mum thought of uh, Anne-Margaret in a completely different role. Uh, and it was um, John Forsyth from, um, uh, from, is it Dynasty? Or, Dynasty uh, in there, yep, yeah. So John Forsyth getting psychopathic Anne-Margaret. But the one that of course, we had decided we had to see. We we did eventually end up with Singing of the Rain eventually, but we did Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, 
which stars uh, Howard Keel, of course. So uh-huh. that's the little, you know, uh, what are we saying? The ludicrously specific connection here is we both managed to watch a Howard Keel musical in the last few uh, weeks. Just and- to check for our southern listeners, that is, um, they're of two separate families. Is that right? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, you lost me on that one, but I'm two beers in, so. <laughs> I don't know what you mean either. We can cut That's that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, if, so. If we have to suffer through it, so do our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so for those of you who haven't seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which maybe a few people if you're, you know, younger than us, directed by Stanley Or even Dunn. perhaps my age. Yeah, very possibly. Directed by Stanley Doden, uh, director of the greatest movie of all time, Singing in the Rain. And it is a movie I've seen probably three times at least now, and it is joyous, basically. It is, it's just a fantastically funny, feel-good comedy about guys stealing women, which doesn't sound like a premise that would be a, you know, a, a feel-good movie. But the tagline, in fact, was Lusty, Mirthful, Girl-Stealing Musical with seven great songs. It <laughs> over girl-stealing a little bit, but it, it's, it's done in a very... It's done in a very upbeat way. The girl stealing. It's 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 not a seventies movie where something called the girl stealers would be utterly utterly unwatchable trash. Mm-hmm. And the you watch it as a double with the candy snatchers. Exactly. Yes, yeah, Seven, Seven Brothers and the Candy Snatchers. Fantastic double feature. If, if, if people <laughs> <watch> the first <laughs> one. <laughs> but for those of you, I mean, who have seen it, you probably you know the the. the that moment, the barn dancing, uh, the barn dancing, the barn raising dance sequence in the middle is just one of the most phenomenal dance numbers of the 1950s. And it just raises the, the hackles on the back of my neck every time I see it. So I get a chance to properly watch it this time, I think, because I'd only seen it maybe a year and a half ago. Before, so I was able to, not coming back into it as a, something I hadn't seen in 10 years, I was really able to sort of appreciate the way it was filmed this time because apparently Stanley Donen really wasn't happy with it because they reduced the budget down so he couldn't shoot on location. So all the backdrops around them are literally painted backdrops. And apparently if you look close enough, you see birds they released onto the set fly into the backdrop. <laughs> one scene. Oh, whoa. But for me, it actually works really well for it. It gives us this, this, you know, this obvious stage play feel to it. And you really feel like you are sitting in the best seats in the house at the, the theater, you know, wow. especially if you've got a few other people around you because it, it's, it's so stylized. I mean, you look, as you mentioned, West Side Story, you've got those amazing vistas of New York City. And it's, you know, it's, it needs to be seen on a giant screen. But this one, seeing it on a just a, you know, the size of TVs we have these days. I mean, if you're watching it on an old 14-inch TV, it would have looked terrible. The size of the screen we have now, 55, 60-inch TVs, it looks phenomenal. And the, the Blu-rays now are absolutely picture perfect. So... Yeah, I'm the one in the in the here with the smallest TV of the bunch I've got, and mine's 42 inches. But because we watched uh, Blade Runner 2049 again the other night, and I had seen it in the cinema on IMAX, to be fair, and I was actually really surprised. That I felt like you know some of these shots I just really couldn't quite work out what was going for, and it was like, um, and the opening crawl was near unreadable because the font was so small, and so. I'm not surprised that the same director's Dune, everybody's complaining about that you can't really make it out if you watch it at home. Because mm. um, I can see that. 
Yeah. But sometimes even if you go on IMAX, when I saw Pacific Rim at the IMAX, sometimes it was just, there was too much on the screen. You couldn't take in yeah. what's happening on the left and the right-hand sides. So That's was, true. That's how I felt about um, Quantum of Solace. I actually just revisited um, all the Craig Bonds. And um, interestingly, Quantum of Solace was the one that improved the most for me. I did not... Uh, have well, I had a long way to go, so it's probably <laughs> was the... <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd only seen it once in the cinema, and I really didn't like it, but I think that mm. the um, uh, the the cutting of it uh, really uh, and, the, and the pace of it is a little too frenetic on the big screen, but when you shrink it down to something where you're not eye-skinning across a giant auditorium, it works okay. And uh, I also think that even though there's some elements of the plotting that might be a bit strange here and there. Like there's nothing quite as awkward as some of the stuff in Casino Royale where the guy's going, that's a tell. And also uh, <laughs> watch, watching Quantum of Solace two days after Casino Royale is so different from waiting two years because it's the only pairing in the ones that it literally comes just straight off the back of. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes, it's true. It's like literally like, possibly 20 30 minutes between the end of casino royale and the start of quantum you know you don't know exactly what's happened between him being on mr white's um villa doorstep and having mr white in his trunk driving away um but you know it's so it's clearly they haven't spent a few days hanging out at the chalet and then decided to go (laughs) away and then only then notified his henchmen um, you, know, you, you get you know it's and so um that, that's probably the, one of the big problems with quantum solace to me was that i saw casino royale in the cinemas and then two years later that came out and i probably didn't see it i didn't see it in the cinemas i probably didn't see it until another six months down the track and it was kind of like who are these people again and it's you know with my memory for movies because i watch too many movies and most of the time I, and you know the, the details just vanish instantly if i don't if it's not a, an absolute mind-blowing film that when I got to that one, I just, I didn't give a shit. And it basically, it killed the Bond franchise for me. It was yeah, just I, it's where, the, where this one's going. I'm no longer interested in, in taking the journey, sorry. Yeah, have you seen Skyfall and Spectre? I have you seen Skyfall. Skyfall I, I was, I, was better than Quantum of Solace, but with, new, with No Time to Die coming out, I mean, you know, it was about to come out. I had no plans to go see it in the cinema. It was, it's kind of, you know, I'm, I've become a classic Bond nerd now and, you know, i I will go back and watch rewatch those any old time, and even maybe had a look at just the first half hour of um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies just to refresh my memory on it. And it's like, oh, it's it's not aging as badly as I thought. Some of the like uh, I find Goldeneye, for instance, has aged quite badly. Yes, uh, it has. Some of the others have have held up really, really well, and I'm still a massive Dalton fan. I'm one of the the, the Dalton non-apologists that that say that those two films were really solid entries, even though they they sometimes get bagged by people that are a bit more kind of like the traditional slightly you know the older bond but um yeah just for me once quantum solace came the names along, mixed just, up but we just rewatched the first one first Dalton living daylights yeah we just rewatched that and that's a really solid film with you know the, and particularly that set piece with the um helicopter and them hanging on and there's um a great making of on that blu-ray as well um, I was also going to say that um, the thing that precipitated us rewatching the Bonds, the Craig Bonds, apart from No Time to Die, which God knows when and if we'll get to see in the cinema, but uh, was there was a special on, I think it was TVNZ, called Being James Bond, which was a Brackley produced uh, 
covering the uh, the Craig years, basically. And it starts as kind of a congratulatory puff piece, but it actually is pretty upfront about the failings of the various movies and, you know, talks about the writer's strike and quantum of solace, but also the injuries that um, Craig accrued by doing his own stunts, which is something that particularly hampered uh, Spectre because he had a broken leg, I think through huge chunks of that film. And it was, Ah. he just had to power through it because otherwise they would have had to cancel for a year. And so um, you can, I could tell when I was watching it, he wasn't having fun and I think mm. that's part of it is, and that's a thing in Quantum of Solace as well, is he's not having fun. But if you watch Casino Royale, it's so quickly coming off the grief of him having lost Vesper that he's committed to this actorly choice of just digging into that. Mm. And Quantum of Solace is him in his James Bond way processing that grief. And it's definitely not a casino Royale too. And it doesn't have a fun Vesper Lynn type character. The woman that he winds up with, with it in and for a bit at the end is, um, I think it's Olga Kriyanko's character is equally wounded and they don't really, you know, they go their separate ways and it's, it's not the passionate romance that casino Royale was. And so it's, it was great kind of watching that and then looking back at the films, seeing them more for what they were intended to be than what they actually, I mean, I I feel like a lot of the early James Bonds are often quite interchangeable in terms of like, it's another adventure. Mm, Yeah. You know, as opposed to part of this arc and I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think it's like, well, it's hard. It's hard to be fair to them. If you're coming with an expectation that you can pick it up and put it down in the same way that you can, do with you know goldfinger or you only live twice exactly yeah they're all self-contained stories um you know the, the only thing that ever became sort of a, a running thing was was the death of diana Rick's character in on emergency mm. secret service and that you know was i still mourn that yeah and it's which is confusing because it was kind of you had characters who you know the with the whole changing of the guard still mentioning her you know you know oh, he lost his wife you know so it's even though his his age has suddenly gone back, you know, twenty odd years from the last time they mentioned it, so it's it's the 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 problem with James Bond going such a long series, you know, and not being able to regenerate like Doctor Who is. You sometimes do have to has suspend your disbelief as as is yeah. this, you know, the mm. same character you just saw ten movies back. So, but I think one of the strengths of of James Bond films, which it seems like now this is what the podcast is about. <laughs> It's for the next uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> is, is the fact of how forgettable they are. And I think they're designed to be that way. It's um, it, uh, the, uh, the events of a Bond film, some, it's easy to go back and rewatch one because it's uh, you always manage to forget this piece and this bit and that bit. And mm-hmm. so it feels like you're watching it for the first time a lot of the time when it comes to Bond movies, or certainly that's been my experience through my lifetime. I don't know if you guys share that. Yeah, well, they are. I mean, they're classic escapism, so mm. it's, you know, quite often you can, it is kind of, if you've seen it, all the, the Bond movies, every single one, you can just, if you like them, you can just put them on at any time and just pick one almost at random, with mm. the possible exception of The Man with the Golden Gun. Because uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> even Moonraker's got its charms, and The Man with the Golden Gun, going back to our very first episode, you remember, has got some really, really irritating moments to it. But mm. most of the, the classic bombs, you can just, as I say, you can put them on any other time and just let your brain just go, oh, that's fun again. It's just like putting on a, a comfortable pair of socks, you know? 
I really think yeah. you'd enjoy um, Skyfall if you gave it another shot, Skeets. That's probably my favorite of the um, Daniel Craig's because it feels like the, the closest to classic Bond. Yeah, I, I do remember, you know, it was probably, I, I really enjoyed Casino Royale. I definitely, I enjoyed Skyfall, although after the last, you know, once before that, it was kind of, yeah, and I, I don't think I even saw Spectre, if I'm not, I, I can't even remember if I did. I would rush, to be honest. It's it's good, but it's um, it won't change your mind about um, giving up on, on Daniel Craig if you watch it, I don't think. Yeah, well, I think Daniel Craig's given up on Bond, so um, it's uh, time to, to hit the reboot button and see what comes out of the machine next. So, <laughs> No spoilers, please, even though I kind of have some idea, but I don't want it spoiled any more than I have. Well, I, I know nothing it. about it. I'm going in it as, as blind as I ever have for a Bond, mm. so I'm looking to that. Well, I suppose it's yeah. my turn. Well, you're going to be shocked when Garfield gets the role, then. Oh, I'm... <laughs> How do you when like it? Is Odie Blofeld? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a weird image of Odie holding Nermal now and patting him. We find out Liz's that. last name is Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> right. On to Darren's things. Maybe good luck getting out of this one. Oh, all right. Or I choose to get in. <laughs> right, here's the smooth transition Sunset Boulevard first time watch Ooh, right. wow, wow you're a lucky man oh my oh my it was just it's a hoot and a holler I just um, it's so funny I it's dark as balls and so brilliantly uncomfortable and it was great watching it with my mum <laughs> it's um it's it's just tremendous. It's a um, it's a classic for a reason, and it's nice to, when you do finally watch these things, and you find that the that there's a reason that everyone loves this movie because they fucking should. <laughs> it, it's, so I should watch it then because I don't believe I have. I think you'll enjoy it more than um, it's. It's funnier than um, Raging Bull. I'll, right. I'll, okay. Yeah. Oh, so that that that's a tricky thing to do. I know, but they're they're really. I I I'm kind of. I mean, they're both black and white. I guess I don't <laughs> see the comparison otherwise. <laughs> they both shot on on film, presumably, and and the scripts were written. And yeah, they yeah, they have human I, beings that deliver dialogue on camera, which sets them apart from like half of what I watch. But <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, Sunset. I mean, Billy Wilder has you know just such a string of amazing caustic films that range from like you know stuff like Some Like It Hot, which is you know a lot more um, mm. sunny, to um, Ace in the Hole, which is probably my favorite, which is one of the most oh, caustic yes. films ever made. Have, you've seen that? Yes, I have. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Have you seen it, Skeet? I have not, no. So basically the conceit is Kurt Douglas is a down-on-his-luck journalist in the 50s who is cruising through a desert town, and there's a girl down a well, and um, he figures out that if he can, um, if she stays down there a week, they can make a big story out of it to 
rescue her. So he's, he begins to organize the world's least competent rescue operation in order to delay it as long as possible and give him the killer story that will get his career back. Um, yeah, and it gets, that's... and it gets darker from there. So Sunset Boulevard is on the one hand to the left of it, but also starts with the narrator dead in a swimming pool. So it's not exactly, <laughs> but it has, you'll, you'll watch it and you'll be like, Oh, that's where that line came from. Oh, that's where that line mm. came from. There's so many quotable lines that I won't even mention in part. Cause I'll probably get them wrong by a word. And, um, but, but also just so because pathos in that movie it. too, isn't mm. there? It's, I just, there's, um, and it's probably I, quite a good lockdown movie as well. And the fact that um, Cecil B. DeMille actually appears in the movie as Cecil B. DeMille and has has a really, really neat role. And he shows the most sympathy towards Norma Desmond more than any other character does. He, it's, um, And it's just cool to see Cecil B. DeMille in a movie. I mean, that's... Yeah, I wonder if Samuel uh, Fuller plays Samuel Fuller in Pirelli Fu, so maybe there's a trio of those. Ah, directors mm, playing uh, themselves. Yeah, I'd I'd be I'd be up to watching Sunset Boulevard again. My God, it's just it's hilariously funny. It's dark. It's I mean, uh, well, to give you an example, Mum thought she was watching a drama. I was laughing all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do have a very dark sense of humor, and I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit that. But man, it, it's just tremendous, and it, it left, it left me on a high. It, though it's not the happiest ending, it was just, I, yeah, I just felt like I'd seen something fantastic, and I had. Um, well, I'm going to go to one of my. Um other most fantastic viewings, although it is actually of a very new film, uh, the empty man. Have either of you guys heard of this yes. recent, um, horror film? Have you seen it or no? Yes. I saw it in the cinema. Wait, I how? Have not, uh, enough, have not heard of this one. The empty uh, man played in the cinema in Auckland. Yes. About last year. I think it's been a, it's been, it was a long time. Yeah. But oh my God. I completely I missed it. I had no idea. Yeah, um, I saw it in Reading. It was in a cinema full of me, I think it was. <laughs> Somehow in the cinema, it oh, technically man. always is full. <laughs> I'm so good. I, I, I've been hearing about this film for, you know, since last December, and I may have just, must have just got a blink and you'll miss it release here. And I've it been did. holding out to see it on the big screen. And. It eventually became clear that wasn't going to happen. And oh, yeah. um, did you did you like it? I did. Yeah, it's a um, it's it's unusual seeing a um, a horror that is two hours and a half long. Mm. It's it's certainly it takes its time. I mean, the first half hour is just a setup, and it's yeah. and that awesome stuff too. It's. And um, yeah, I I did enjoy it. It's um, it felt like it was a little bit on the predictable side, but unfortunately, when you've you read so much and you've seen so much movies and horror and stuff, it's it'd be very hard to um, 
to um, come up with something wholly original, but it's still really well. It's really well done. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the director is a guy named David Pryor, who has been doing David Fincher's behind the scenes uh, stuff since for like 20, I think since at least Zodiac and maybe even longer. So he's been taking notes the whole time. And back, I think, in 2015 or 2016, he made this. And then there was a lot of behind the scenes fighting about it. And apparently the studio tried to do their own cut and they couldn't get um, uh, and it made the movie worse because the 90 minute version of that movie is just impossibly terrible. Oh, uh, and then, um, and then Fox got bought by Disney and then it was just like, you know, they're just kind of throwing over the, the films from the old guard one by one. And, uh, that one was thrown particularly unceremoniously, but just the icy patient vibe of it is something that's so rare in American I mean, it's like it is the horror movie that Fincher ever did. Almost, you know, he's done thrillers and stuff, but he's not never done a straight out, unless I'm forgetting something, you know, supernatural horror film. And um, and James Badge Dale is the um, eventual protagonist. Thirty minutes in, um, although it's kind of weird to call him protagonist because it's almost more about what happens to him than what. Mm. Uh, he chooses to do as it goes on. Uh, and Stephen Root has just a, such has a, a hundred cameo characters. in there as well. It's uh, who did sorry, Stephen Root. Oh yes, yes, yeah. That was a very pleasant surprise discovering him. But yeah, I mean, it it reminded me of a lot of that sort of Japanese like things like Kiyoshi Kurosawa that you know these horror movies that are set in these really decrepit, falling apart places and just this this patient. Uh, thing and then there's there's also this weird stuff with like references to Jacques Derrida High School and I have a friend who's really dug into the whole deconstructionist side of it and you know that you can get into like this kind of oh horror movies now are all about these signifiers of things that you know stand for being scary like we have a loud noise that's supposed to stand for being scared and stuff like that and it's um and his interpretation of the Empty Man is it's what it means when you're completely hollowed out of all of those. Uh, all the meaning out of those recurring um, repeated images. Um, and I think that's an interesting reading, but I think it also just works on a quite literal level. I don't think you need to have a um, PhD in semiotics to unpack it. <laughs> I'd say the, that for the first half hour is just one of the, one of the best setups of any horror film I've seen in a while. Mm. It's just, it just really, it's, you know, you're going into something and it's just kind it's chilling how, how things play out. And see, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm struggling to think of any horror movie that I can think of that is that length, two and a half hours for a horror movie is an insane length because most of the time, you know, they're not given the big budgets to make a, a, a huge mm. long movie and they uh, quite often are much more compact movies just by I feel like midsummer is like four hours or something stupid isn't it? now I'm, jo I'm joking but I think it is almost three hours it is director's cut and, and the wailing is two and a half definitely oh and the, and that's great that, that's such oh that's movie. fantastic yeah I saw that last October ween actually it's um and I yeah that just takes you on such a journey it's such a roller coaster of emotions that film it's um it's tremendous 
Yeah, yeah I was lucky to see it for like the one week it was in cinemas here, and it was a, a oh, huge wow. big screen experience. Um, and uh, incidentally, guys are doing are doing traditional. We're in October. We have to watch a bunch of horror movie things that everyone in the entire world does in the, at the moment because I I don't tend to change my style that much. I I watch some horror during October, but um, I've noticed in the last few years it's become a big thing of you know I've got to watch a horror movie every day now from you know just about everyone I follow on Twitter. So have you guys been uh, been dipping into the horror oh, genre? Yes, yes. Um, I'm a conform bitch. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> a, it's um, I've been doing it for about the past seven years. Um, and, um, it's, it's for me, of course, I, I was quite late to horror, so yeah. it was just a great way of catching up. It's, um, I always try and get ahead of schedule. So right now I'm up to 30, um, I think I'm up to 30 horror films for the, month of October. Uh, wow. for the month of October. I've still got a few days to go. It's, uh, but I always try and get ahead just in case there's a, a, a day when I'm not able to watch one. But yeah, I've seen a um, few, but it's but it's not my slot yet, so I'm, I'm not talking. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, to be honest, The Empty Man is one of the few that I've seen. I uh, I find that I struggle a because my wife's not into horror, but b um, just because the days are getting longer as well, so it's it's a weird time to fit it in um, because I tend to go to bed, start being getting ready for bed by ten thirty or eleven. So it um, yeah, there's the it feels weird to start a horror movie when it's still light out. So, um, I see what you mean. My friend Darren's done a couple of actual horror. I did. I did it at 10 o'clock in the morning. I did VHS 94 off shutter. Right. um, Was for me, probably the best of the VHS so far. Cause I remember the first one, it was, was very, very patchy, but, um, this one, like any anthology horror, some better stories better than others, but this one finished on a real, a real, what's this one? Company VHS ninety four, so it's the ah, uh, I think new one. The VHS ones, yeah. So just came out um, probably about a month or less in the last month, I think. So um, yeah, I actually like it because it, it, the kind of the last two stories, one of them kind of was a little bit too shiny for something that was supposed to be like a set in nineteen ninety four. It was a bit too high def, but was mm-hmm. kind of brain dead levels of gore it decided to go for, and it just it just went completely over the top, and then was followed by one of the nice. funnier comedy uh, horrors that I've uh, shorts that I've seen in quite some time. So um, yeah, definitely I can give a recommendation because as I said, the first VHS, I, I wouldn't go back and watch again. I've seen a few ridiculously bad um, horror anthologies because there's simply an awful lot of them coming out. And sadly, one of them was, was XX, I think it was called. I assume that was oh, yeah. how they pronounced it, which um, started off terribly, unfortunately, with um, St. Vincent. She's a fantastic musician, but for a first debut, you know, directorial effort, um, she's got to work on the concept of an ending because her mm-hmm. story didn't have one and it just wrecked that and I didn't even end up finishing the whole movie. So I was a bit worried going into VHS 94, but ended up quite liking it. Oh, that's good. I'm sorry, Doug, we interrupted you. Yes, you we were did. talking about your other friend, Darren. Mm. Oh, uh, no, that's, I, he, he'd showed a couple films, but the one I'm actually going right. to briefly mention, I'm actually currently watching, which I got halfway through and then got interrupted for dinner and then to come record this, which is a film called freaks of nature, which um, I picked out for a off because it stars Nicholas Braun who plays cousin Greg. And Uh uh, it was a $33 million horror comedy that came out in 2015 uh, and earned 
I think seventy thousand dollars at the U.S. box office. Oh, hang so, on, is that the one with Patton Oswalt in it? Uh, I think so. He, I, I mean, there's uh, there's a bunch of yep, people it in yeah, it. There's we've seen it. Yeah. We we watched it, Skeets, at yours. Yeah, yeah I'm sure we did. Oh it. yeah, how? It's because it's got a crazy conceit. Because I I knew nothing about it, and then I put it on, and it was like there's zombies and stuff running around and and hmm. firing cars go, going through things and then they rewind back and you feel like oh this is before all the weirdness started and you see nicholas braun and his friend walking into school and then like behind them there's these zombies getting off a school bus and then there's this you know these twilight like vampires you know like robert pattison types in it and it's like hmm. what the hell you know and so it's like this very specific parody of an era of horror filmmaking that already feels quite lost in the rearview mirror of the, you know, the high school sparkly vampire movie, but um, has some really entertaining moments so far, but I've only gotten just past to when the aliens arrived thus far. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember quite enjoying it, but it's not yeah. one I've, I've thought of since. Yeah, I, it looks like I'm looking it up on my letterbox, and it looks like if we did watch it, I even forgot to log it. So I don't know whether that was just my incredible short-term <laughs> memory or whether it didn't make that much of an opinion uh, impression on me. But the thing is, every time I see it, because I see the poster come up on several streaming services, my brain keeps saying, you should watch that. And uh, there's another part of my brain saying, you've already watched that. So now I think I have to go back and rewatch it just to find out if I had watched it. If you follow, there's my there's some entertaining. Um, his his parents are played by uh, John Kuzak, and I think Bob Odenkirk with a lot of hair on him, and mm. um, who were stoner parents that he wasn't aware of, and and there's quite a, and Keegan Michael uh, Key plays a um, vampire high school teacher, and and you could tell it has this tension of something that's completely overburdened with a lot of story and a lot of comedy characters who kind of just you know go for swing for the fences every time they're on camera and uh yeah and it struggles to fit it all in but i just um i don't know i figured since uh do you guys watch succession no oh yeah i do uh, well i have okay. now I, i've watched the whole thing in lockdown it's uh right that's right i, I just haven't watched yeah. the most recent two episodes but uh i'll get there <laughs> oh yes the um the fan is uh very covered with excrement at the moment in uh, succession <laughs> so um i just wanted to pick out a lot of films for a off that had um succession actors in them that i hadn't seen or that i had seen that might be interesting to people who've seen the show but like haven't really seen matthew mcfadgen or sarah snook or um even brian cox and much else and um and also i'd never seen the autopsy of jane doe so i figured that was going to be a movie this weekend for a Halloween horror that's also supposed to be really good from what I know. What's up for Jane Doe I have seen and that one is it's yeah it's I won't say anything about it but yeah I think you'll like it because it's it's not a an an obvious jump scare horror it's it's mm. atmospheric and I think it is definitely in, in Doug's wheelhouse. Oh yeah I I saw I saw it for um for my Octoberween um and it's uh, it is brown trouser time it is uh, <laughs> It's so it is so expertly put together. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's creepy. And one thing I will say, and I don't think this is a spoiler, is it is so nice to have your your main characters in a horror film be people you like, mm. people you actually care about. 
which yeah which of course is a dangerous thing um in a horror movie but it's just it's so refreshing and so weird that that's refreshing yeah because invariably there's they always put those characters in those in the horror movies that you wouldn't want to hang out with you wouldn't go on a, a long car journey with that people end up out in the woods with or in the case of the movie I watched a little while ago, Chosen Survivors, trapped underground in, 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 in a post-apocalyptic bunker with the biggest prick of 1974. And it's kind <laughs> of, the script, he must have just looked at the script and just gone, I'm a complete bastard from page one to, to the end, so I'll just be a complete bastard. And after about half an hour, I'm like, could you just die already? <laughs> and it's, it doesn't make me really want to continue watching the movie. And Chosen Survivors turned out to be a weird bag of a movie that I couldn't even really call a horror. It's just, it's a chunk of 1974 weirdness uh, with some horror elements and a complete bastard that I hated. So, yeah, I do like to see horror movies where you actually do care for the characters and you'd prefer to see them get through the movie without having their heads cut off would be great. And, Doug, you'll, you'll never believe that Brian Cox can play someone you, who's likable and... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, not after watching Succession. <laughs> it's uh, but um, Brian Cox is also in the Twenty Fifth Hour, and the ending of the Twenty Fifth Hour is one of my top five endings of all time. And um, oh, the uh, Ed Norton movie. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he is twenty four hours before he's supposed to be delivered to prison, and he's hanging out with all his friends, and um, yeah, and then Brian Cox is. Um, driving and he's like you know we don't have to do this and he's like what do you mean he's like well we could just keep driving and he start he launches into this monologue and i and brian cox actually came to new zealand to promote churchill and sarah got to uh do a, a session at rialto with him and i'm like oh my and i had to ask him about it and he's like um yeah it originally wasn't very long and then spike just kept calling me he's like hey i've written some more lines can you can you uh, add this as well and, and in the end it's <laughs> It's like a nine, 10 minute passage of this impossible dream. And it's, um, and it's so moving because it, it, it just reaches such heights of impossibility. And yet it's something that you so want for those characters that, you know, can never happen. And, um, and just his delivery of all of that finds this movie where it's very difficult to find redemption brings brings all the emotions of it into this you know one of the most emotional moments in any spike lee movie which is a pretty big barded cross i think oh wow i, I need to I, I i have a feeling i have seen the 25th hour but i've i've managed to forget pretty much everything about it other than who's in it so maybe that's yeah. one i need to revisit it's it's funny, and it's also there's something about the fact that because um, somebody on my letterbox recently watched it, and they're like, this movie's weirdly obsessed with nine eleven. I don't understand it; doesn't have anything to do with the plot. I'm like, it was literally the first movie made in New York after nine eleven that acknowledged that nine eleven happened, and so seeing it in a cinema in like December two thousand two or whatever, with the shadow of like all of that, I think has a weight that probably I bring back to it every time that I watch it, that, it, you know, however many years removed. Yeah. It does seem kind of, it's not completely integrated with the themes because it's not, you know, the, the movie was, was based on a novel that w that wasn't about. And then I think the original drafts of the screenplay were written well before nine 11. And then it's like, well, he's spike, he makes his movies in New York. He's not going to back away from 
acknowledging what's around him and um now, correct yeah, me so if I'm, I'm wrong. Is the um, the scriptwriter for that? Do they are they not responsible for Game of Thrones? David uh, Benioff. Yeah, actually, yeah, yep, that's the one. Benioff and Weiss. Yeah, I don't think, I think only Benioff worked on Twenty Fifth yes. Hour. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I I can't say that I see a lot of similarities between Twenty Fifth <laughs> Hour and Game of Thrones, but I only got through a couple series of Game of Thrones, so I might have missed the uh brian cox monologue at the end i don't know oh no it's the it's the bit where the lead character is going to jail but not right away it's um it's really exciting bit it's uh, is it on a dolly zoom yeah definitely (laughs) those great spikely dolly zooms that are in all those films (laughs) i don't even know whose turn it is it's my turn i think it's skeets it's mine and oddly enough once again the connections continue to be connected because you've been talking about brian cox and one thing i'm just gonna briefly gloss over that I watched because we did talk about it at uh, length a while back. I decided to watch some of the movies you guys had seen at the theatres uh, or Sans Me while I was uh, working and, and doing dad oh. things and stuff. Uh, oh. So uh, I rewatched Manhunter. Uh, one word um, synopsis on that one. Fucking awesome. So go see that one. <laughs> I think yeah. you might need to work out your your numbering system yeah. there. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So yeah, exactly. Well, fucking is is it's a hyphen in there, isn't it? Fucking awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, probably. I'm pretty sure. I mean, this is verbal, you know. I can I can say that. I also want to rewatch Scream, uh, which you guys saw on the big screen, and um, I'd forgotten just how fast paced that movie is. I mean, it's it's about an hour and forty, and suddenly it's it's getting. I felt like I'd been watching for about an hour, and we're in the the, the end game. I'm like, this movie just rips along, banger. It's such an it's such an expertly made film, though, isn't it? It is. It really, and it's because I of the. I actually haven't revisited recently. I was oh yeah, I was there for the um, for the double when they played that at the Hollywood, and it is, you you I think because it's a comedy horror almost, that it's easy to downplay it, but it's mm. it's just so expertly made. It's it's a, a real tribute to Wes Craven that film and was it and we watched slaves it as with an audience too well we watched it as yes. a family film so um so my oh, screen Hello. Uh, and yeah he, he enjoyed the hell out of it and it, i mean even though so like for him some of the humor was probably a little dated being 90s humor but he um yeah, definitely at the end um I'm with uh is it um matthew lillard's character is just Feeling woozy aren't he hilarious <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, <laughs> stab me too deep man and you know the line about peer pressure uh, just absolutely broke up the entire room. So, um, yeah, we all got a good laugh out of that. We didn't have Scary Movie 2 to watch as a follow-up a couple of days later, so we tried watching Scary Movie. Um, it, it hasn't aged well. It no. really hasn't aged well, so um, couldn't recommend going back to that. But that was just a little kind of addendum because even talking Brian Cox. So what I wanted to talk about in my second movie is um, the movies I actually watched this weekend, and so that's – it's about a couple of them because I had a, an interesting triple feature yesterday uh, of Nobody, yes, uh, The Lighthouse, and Christine. Oh so wow! Possibly one of the most high quality uh, triple features I think I've had in quite some time. Uh, no I would say so. Yeah, no felicity. Uh, I hadn't seen Nobody. Oh, it's the first time I got around to actually seeing it. You know, uh, and it was a banger it was yeah ridiculously assured 
action direction, stuck the landing, and just a real fun time because, once again, you know, you're taking Bob Odenkirk, who we were talking about before, and throwing him in to a movie where he's basically playing an action hero and a very unlikely action hero and a quite dark role at the start that almost becomes lighter as it goes along. Mm. And he nails it. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you want someone to play a broken character, you get a comedian because yep. there is no one in yeah. the world who is legitimately going to be a more broken person than a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I've done stand-up comedy. I've worked with stand-up comedians. They are, they, and they will admit it themselves, the least stable people on the planet. You know, my, my comedy mentor for a couple of years was going great guns and giving me great advice. And I walked in one day and found him lying on the floor going, why do we do this? And I'm like, I thought you fucking knew. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, and let's not forget Christopher Lloyd. Wow, Christopher Lloyd in it is is joyous, and he does. He, he's got what about a dozen twenty odd lines in the whole movie, and he's just a massive part of it when he gets there. And he's having the time of his life at eight. Oh, absolutely! Three it's, years of age, yeah. he just, he's doing that role. He's, he's he's a busy man. He did like four move four or five movies that year, and wow. yeah, to do for that, which is a fairly action centric role. At the age of eighty-three, I mean, you know, major props to him. But mm. and, and it has also has, and I'm going to say it, RZA. I've got it, got it this time. Mm. So, <laughs> oh, you mean Azza? That's the one, Azza. R R R Z A. Azza. Azza. That's it. Arr. 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 So, really enjoyed that. But then I followed up with the Lighthouse, and it's interesting. I looking at our letterbox reviews, I seem to have enjoyed it more than Doug, and probably understood it less. Because ah. it's it's a movie that I got to the end of, and there's a part of my brain that when I watch those movies, it goes, you weren't smart enough to watch this. And the rest of my brain is going, no, I'm a smart dude. I'm, but I don't think this was meant to be quite understood. I'm thinking the director did not really want us to have, at the end of the movie, a, a clear picture of what exactly we just watched. We watched something else. Yeah. It's, yeah it, it's such an odd duck of a movie, and it's a, it's a two-hander. I mean, you've got... Robert Patterson and Willem Dafoe, and Willem Dafoe is fucking phenomenal in the role. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's such a, a veteran actor that, I mean, he can do roles standing on his head, but he nails what, for an American actor, has got to be a tricky role with an accent yep. that never slips. And yes. Robert Patterson, who I've only ever seen in, you know, when my wife was watching the Twilight movies and bagging them on them about how terrible he was. Is very very good in it. It's it's a he's a fantastic actor. Like, yes, he is. He's much absolutely. Yeah, and he probably gets unfortunate from doing the Twilight movies, which he legitimately hated and loved to bag on himself. So I give him big props for that. He's he's probably a lot of people that think of him as just that wooden actor from Twilight. But I mean, what are you going to do with the script from Twilight? And it's for people that haven't yeah. seen the else, and I know some of our listeners have because one of our friends Daryl is the one that told me that I should watch this on. Uh, Daryl and Margaret, two of our friends, were talking about it, saying that how good it was, and mentioned that you did should. Did we not mention it? Did yeah. I not? Did we not mention it to you as something I you should have seen? Yeah, it did. No, I, I, Daryl, I think definitely mentioned it. I don't think you guys ever mentioned it. Uh, no. Daryl mentioned to put the subtitles on, or one of the two mentioned to put the subtitles on. So I had to do it. <laughs> My hearing is not hundred percent these days after forty-eight years of, of rock music and Walkmans, and I could not understand the first couple of lines. So up came the subtitles, which helped a lot. But it's it's just it's it's an it's an odd arty duck of, of a black and white beautifully shot 
movie of two lighthouse keepers on a remote New England island in the 1890s trying to maintain their sanity and shit goes down. And that's pretty much the only way I can describe it. And it's, I really did enjoy it. I just enjoyed the how off kilter it was, how, you know, I'm kind of watching this just going, is this going to explain itself? It's probably not. I'm just going to go with it and see where it goes. I'm not going to try and, and look for, you know, exactly is this going on in somebody's head? Is this actually happening? Is this a supernatural thing? I'm just going to get to the end and see what happens. And yeah, yeah it, it goes places. And just imagine how it looks on a, on the, in the cinema screen at, at the Hollywood. It was just, I just had, yeah, I, it was, I had no idea what, what it was doing or where we were going with it, but it was so entertaining. Well, fortunately, I, yesterday was pissing down with rain, so it was. When I, oh, wow. it, it was grey and it was raining and it felt like I was in the movie as well because I felt like I was in a monochrome in my own house because of just the lighting from outside. So it was. Uh, it, yeah, I that'd be a good vibe for it, actually. Yeah, did, did, were there some seagulls circling? Um, <laughs> no, I, I live in West Auckland. There was police cars circling in the police helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully the police aren't going to pick at your corpse afterwards, no, but no. there's no guarantees. No sport. And, and the thing I watched was Christine, which I have seen many times, but I'm a nerd, so I I turned the, the uh, lighting down, or the... Uh, the I saw up, that. And watched yeah, it in black and white. Yeah, I, I desaturated um, my TV down to nothing, and it became like a 1950s drag strip movie, uh, almost, because it's... It feels throwback with that car, of course. Uh, the soundtrack, mm-hmm. of course, is 50s or 50s covers. And, I mean, it's John Carpenter, so it's it, it's got this kind of timeless feel to it anyway. Classical composition, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it's, it's you know, it's one of these movies. It's, it's, I was thinking, I was going to actually say that it was my comfort movie. If I hadn't watched uh, Singing in the Rain, this would have been my comfort movie for the, the lockdown because it's just one that I can put on any time. Or if I was, you know, years ago, I used to stumble across it when I had Sky Movies and it would be be playing on one of the things. And just even if you come in halfway through, you could just settle down and watch it at the end because it's just such a, an assured direction once again, and such a a likable cast, you know. And once again, even the, you know, the character who becomes the the antagonist is still a likable character. And you don't want to see bad things happen to him, even though, you know, it's a Stephen King story. He's probably not going to be having a, a, a good day by the end time the credits roll. Again, I thought there were some really annoying bullies in it. Am I misremembering? There are some annoying bullies in there, but um, they're—I mean, you know, the character, the, the, even those ones—they've got their own personalities. They're not faceless bullies. They're—you know—so you get a, a lot of, lot of like, especially slasher movies, which will throw on bastards that are just there to be bastards, and they'll be dropped in the story and have no other reason except to be, you know, Jason fodder. But you know, the bullies in it are annoying, but they are—they're well-written bullies, is I guess the best way to put it. You know, they're quite, you've got a, a sense of realism to them and a, and a, and a, a very fantasy-based story. And, of course, you've got, you've got Robert Prosky, the, um, the asshole from Thief, is the, uh, is the, the true asshole in this one as well, oh. the, but, you know, he's, uh, the he's, owner of the garage. Yeah, and we're Dan Allen. Of course, he's, he's, he's there's been the whole time. It's, it's kind of, he's, he has two different personalities to me, Robert Prosky. He's got the cigar chewing, profane Dan Allen in this one. And then he's the, uh, the kindly uh, grandfather from grandfather so from, many films. Yeah, from Grand, uh, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, uh, where he plays mm. um, 
the uh, the on-screen TV count who introducing the terrible movies, and it's just the That's nicest true. guy. And also the um, uh, last American hero. He's the um, the holder of the golden ticket that gets um, Brad Renfro into into the movies. And of course, also in this one, you got Robert's action hero. That's what it's called. Last action hero. We got Robert's Blossom in it. Of course, one of our favourite Grindhouse actors. Yeah, and he's he's such a solid actor. He did. I don't think he ever really got the the recognition that he should have because he he was always a character actor, background actor, but he's such a solid actor in a role like that. Hey, just to go back to The Lighthouse for a minute, because I've been thinking about that film, and I feel like I probably need to revisit it, but there's a there are a couple factors. One is that, um, at the risk of humble bragging, it was one of the two films I got shut out of at Cannes 2019, and then... Um, and then that November it opened in the States and then it took like five months to get here. So I had basically like, you know, 10 months of anticipation as well as having a lot of things kind of semi spoiled about it that I'd rather not. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, this, this better live up to the fucking hype by the time, you know, it's (laughs) um, but also I think, um, I think there's two kinds of people that make weird films I think there's people who can only make their films in that way. And somebody like David Lynch, like, I don't think there's like a straighter version of a racer head that he can make. Like, it's mm. just, it's all straight id and subconscious and, and it makes sense to him. And if you're tapped into some of the themes, you'll get to it. But even then some of the decisions don't make sense. Um, and, but they kind of, it still lands because it's of such an internal coherent vision. And one of the things about Robert Eggers, um, he comes from a production design background and he's exacting and specific about so much detail stuff. And I think at a certain level, he's a very meticulous craftsman, uh, that then, tries to go back and add a layer of weird. And it's something about those two energies in both this and the witch that, um, just don't quite mesh for me. And, and and it may just be that like, if I watch it another time, I'll be like, Oh, I finally get what you're on about. But both those films, like I thought were really admirable films that were doing their own thing and had lots of impressive elements and incredible performances. And yet neither of them fully, um, and particularly with the lighthouse didn't land for me, even though with the lighthouse, it especially just the way it looked. I mean, you know, there's so many stunning shots in it and, and yeah, also such, such a great sense of humor in moments as well and terrific performances. So like, and yet there was something that felt like the less of less than the sum of its parts for me. So what I'm hearing is that you don't want to live deliciously. Is that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be mine. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, well, watch it again. Watch The Witch again. You might find out. (laughs) I can't guarantee that. Okay. um, It's the first horror film I'll uh, talk about off my list. And one I actually showed um, me mum is a a hammer horror from the early 60s called Shadow of the Cat. I can hear your Not your familiar. sounds of yep. yes sounds uh, of recognition. Uh, yes, that <laughs> film. Yeah, uh, from tappity 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 tap. 
<laughs> well, let me um, let me take you on a journey. Uh, so, Shadow of the Cat is about a um, it's about a a, a cat witnesses um, it her her mistress's murder in a, a, a grand old English manner, and um, and the uh, the murder is. T- uh, is committed by the um, the husband of the mis- of uh, the cat's mistress, and the um, the maid and the um, and the uh, butler, and so the cat then proceeds to take all the fuckers out. Anyone who's <laughs> related to the murder is, uh, and also Barbara Shelley plays the ingenue innocent. In there as well. It's so, it's a good film, and so unique. It's incredibly. I mean, it. The thing about a Hammer film is they don't feel dated because they're already. I mean, where they're always period-based films to a degree. Um, but it's it's such a unique idea to have a cat take out everyone <laughs> and it's not it's not necessarily supernatural either it's just the cat's a bastard <laughs> well it's uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> well just an, an avenging cat, I can relate. <laughs> it's an avenging angel essentially uh, but it's a it's a solid film and and mum absolutely loved it it's uh it's mum could take on it's she could handle the most goriest film ever as long as the gore is against the the bad guys. So mum loves justice and right. loves to <laughs> loves to see justice perpetrated on those who deserve it and uh, in in very forceful ways. <laughs> so this was this was perfect for mum, but it um, but it was actually it's it's really good. I um, I can highly highly recommend Shadow of the Cat. It was such a surprise, and that was only the second of my uh, thirty-one horror films <laughs> that I watched. <laughs> Glad you got In fact, actually, what I'll do is um, I will um, I'll go through the list just as a list. So the um, the first one up was um, Not of This Earth, which is a Roger Corman film. Nice. Black and White. Then there was Shadow of the Cat. There was Lucifer's Women, The Night Visitor, Terror Train, Autopsy of Jane Doe, The Appointment, which is an Edward Woodward ghost movie. There's uh, Pesadilla Fatale, or Fatal Nightmare, which is a um, a not so great Mexican horror movie, which uh, takes elements of Nightmare on Elm Street and doesn't use them as effectively as you would hope. Um, that that was from 1990. There's the Snow Beast, which you can find on Tubi, as well as Countess Dracula. Do you recommend uh, the Snow Beast, or are you just acknowledging where I can find it? Um, actually, Snow Beast is a lot of fun. It's it's is it the fifties Snow Beast or the or the there's a bunch of there's like Snow Beast from the seventies. Oh, it's the one with Bose Fenton and Clint Walker. Oh, that sells me. Bose Fenton and Clint Walker. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's 
And uh, Willie's Wonderland is um, that's the Nicholas Cage, Cage versus yeah. versus animatronic bastards. Um, <laughs> and that's for a punk band, by the way. <laughs> it's it's actually quite a bit. I mean, it's not it's not going to be anybody's favorite movie, I don't think. But it is it's fun. There's um, the Devil's Bat. There's Jack's Back, which is great, and I would love to talk about that. There's Gretel and Hansel, which is also oh, fantastic. That, rules. that is fucking awesome. It's just, it is, yeah, just great drone core. I almost put it on the AOF list, um, but I figured every, everybody who knew about it might have already seen it, and well, people who so didn't know about it. It's, um, which is how I watched it, and it's um, Oz Perkins directs. And it is as sumptuous as a horror film could be, really. And it's and it tells a great story. I don't really want to give much away on that, but if you haven't seen it, see it. It's it's really good. Then Body Snatches. Um, yep, that's the be one of those films with Darren. Yeah, well, I, I I watched it afterwards, but yes. Oh, okay. Um, Aren't then you there was. Um, Night Books, the new Netflix movie, which is a um, a, a family horror film, uh, which was quite a lot of fun, and certainly you puts say Night Books, Night Books, twenty twenty one. Huh. Yep. Okay. Um, then the remake of The Witches, which is really good. The Robert Zemeckis remake, I was quite surprised. And then I discovered that the um, screenplay uh, was co-authored by Guillermo del Toro, which explained a lot. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Ghost of Yotsuya um, from 1959, which is a great ghost story, focuses on a... um, on a total asshole, actually. And for about the first half of the movie, and it's quite short, it's only about an hour 17. First half of the film, you see the asshole assholing up and uh, just being a general bastard and killing and just being greatly unpleasant. And then he gets his. And it's very, very nice. <laughs> it's... It's so deserved, and um, and it's for it's made in 1959, and there are um, limbs being chopped off with blood, and it's just it's quite a surprise. It's uh, you don't expect to see that kind of content in 1959, uh-huh. but maybe with it being Japanese, it's um, or China. Um, how much how much Kurosawa have you seen? Because the um like the end shot of Sanjuro, for instance, is one of the bloodiest. I mean, it's black and white, but it's literally chops a guy in half, and it's just a geyser of film across the screen, <laughs> and that's like sixty three or something. Yeah, Japan. Oh, I think was, yeah, it was a well, lot. Sixty nine is a little earlier. Yeah, but then again, yeah, but remember we saw Lady in a Cage, which has eyeball violence in America in nineteen sixty four, and it, that was shocking to see in a movie yes. that you know still in the in the black and white era for a lot of the films, a lot of the low budget ones were still shooting black and white. So it's, it's, you know, not as horrific as it would have been in color, but it was for a movie of that era, it it almost came out of nowhere. It just hit you in the face. So it was, yeah, there was, there's, you, you get surprised sometimes when you look back at some of these ones that, that got, uh, you know, got kind of got yeah. away with it. And the, as the, 
the Hayes code started to fade away a little bit and the, um, the, the sensors got a little bit less likely to, you know, rip chunks out of your film. Unless they came to New Zealand, where our key sensor was still cutting things out of the film into the night, yeah. late 1980s. Have no, you, either of you ever investigated the pre-code stuff? Sorry to interrupt. I've had some pre-code stuff. Yeah, there's, oh, there's some. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I often hear about stuff that's cut through there. But... Okay. I mean, it was, what was that? Um, uh, Gold Diggers of 1933, I think both you and I watched a while back there, Darren. Where he gets yes, the final yes. scene, which is basically almost a striptease number in 1933, and it's just kind of like, wow. Somewhere uh, Mr. Hayes was having himself a, a weak conniption fit and, and writing frantically. <laughs> <laughs> what about, um, uh, what is it, uh, Blue Angel? Isn't that 1929? The um, Is that uh, Greta Garbo or um, Marlena Dietrich? Uh, good question, that one. I would have guessed uh, Dietrich, but I haven't seen it. I think, yeah, it's, Dietrich, uh, yes. well... Yep. That is that is so. I mean, the main star, the the main character is a is a prostitute, and they don't uh, they, they um they're pretty upfront about it. It's um yeah, that's a great film. It, uh, pre-code is awesome. There's a lot of good pre-code. Just watch a Mae West movie. That uh, that'll give you a uh, an eye opener. Just not sexy. Um, uh. <laughs> that 19 no <laughs> no no i mean i mean a pre-code may wish <laughs> not not a, not a, a one where she was a, an octogenarian and still making smutty jokes so um yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i um, should mention i now have a copy of sex Ted, just in case so you do want to watch that one but i've never seen it it's uh, i would oh, it's, um <laughs> I was I was talking. There's um, I think it's I'm No Angel, which is a very early role for Cary Grant, and it's um, it's a very cool film. I think that's about thirty four or something like that. I could be wrong, but uh, sorry, I didn't mean it, to make you list every pre-cut like, film that you'd seen. <laughs> I like this um, Sleepaway Camp. Wow, fun, yeah. So everything on my list, I should have said everything on my list is a first time watch. Sleepaway Camp. Wow, <laughs> what a what a cocktail of of just wrongness yeah. and inept. It's just um, it's so so badly made, written, and performed, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it <laughs> somehow works because if you see the second one, the second one is basically the complete opposite, where it takes the character from the first one and goes, "What would she be like if she was?" Uh, the evil twin sister whose personality was completely reversed. And it's much better made, and it's much less fun. It's still entertaining as hell in a, in a kind of a what-the-fuck-am-I-watching kind of way, but it does not uh, reach the heights that Sleepaway Camp does. Oh, well, it's just... The wrongness on display is just... It does. It you definitely need a shower with a wire brush afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's audacity and um, and and casting and having James Earl Jones's dad as the um, as one of the cooks. It's um, is what a uh, what hard times he must have fallen upon to be in that. <laughs> And yet it's glorious, and I will almost certainly try and um, purchase a copy from uh, from Shout Factory at some stage. It, it, it's just, oh, it's awful and wonderful at the same time. Midnight Mass, not a movie, 
and um, it, but it's it's like an eight-hour movie um, on Netflix. It's um, directed I've by the one first of my two apps of it. Yeah, it, it's directed by uh, one of my favorite horror directors at the moment, which is Mike Flanagan. He just he makes my kind of horror films. They have um, they're completely ruthless. They don't care who they take out as a victim, yet they have a tremendous amount of heart and emotion it's which is quite a strange mix but he seems to have done it over and over again and uh, and this is i think his pinnacle it's um you've you've just watched two episodes it's um and I, you... i've enjoyed those both yeah it's just a matter of trying to get time um and you know prioritizing movies but um yeah i in fact it's something that i bar two scenes in the first one i was like Oh, if it weren't for those two scenes, Sarah would actually really love this because it's really character driven and it's really, um, you know, and I mean, that has impressive shooting and impressive performances and all of those things. Interestingly, also, there's a great thread that Flanagan has on Twitter about how the whole thing was one of the very first uh, post-COVID productions. So, oh, like, wow. And... They um, and I think they were it was because they were shooting in such a remote location, probably that they were able to succeed. But also they had, you know, a lot of very specific um, protocols that they used. It's not like they were, you know, and and they managed to not only follow all those intense protocols, but still uh, make it to the finish line on time. Oh, wow. It's uh and one thing about it is um, an actor who's been acting for ages and now they're talking about this is his dis- this is the film where the um, role where he's been discovered is Hamish Linkletter who was um, the who priest right the priest father paul and he's um, I mean he's been around for ages and I've watched him in heaps of things and he's in Fargo and he was in the newsroom and the crazy ones and and he's good in everything, but my God, is he good in this? It's um, so yeah. I'll be very interested to um, hear your thoughts once you've completed it, uh, there, Doug. It's um, I'll try to very, get back very to good. it and not let you down. <laughs> Such a with episodic TV. I mean, we've got time on our hands, but once again, it's getting the the time and the motivation. I mean, I still haven't we've seen the Squid yet in the game, Squid Game, and we're four episodes in. So, yeah. uh, you know, where's this goddamn Squid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched Squid. Uh, I think I've watched about the first three minutes, and then I got distracted, and We've I decided I needed to, it, it is, to vote time. Yeah, it's it's well worth it. I, I decided not to go back to the the Shadow series, where which was, I think, was going to be a little bit too frigging gruesome, and then everyone started talking Squid Game, so we watched the first episode, and you know, Dawn was watching, was doing a needlework and watching it, and uh, within half an hour, we were both hooked into it. So we're going to do that, but unfortunately. I pissed Dawn off because it got to the end of an episode and I watched two episodes at a time. I don't binge watch the whole series because I find I can't retain anything at the end of it. Uh, so I've been watching two episodes a week and we got to the end of the fourth episode and it ended on a cliffhanger. And I went, well, that's it for tonight. And I nearly got thrown out of the fucking house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've deliberately not actually watched it for about oh, eight, no, nine days just to, re- <laughs> just to get those extra oh. husband win points there. Um, I think I probably have, you know, 
taking my luck as long as possible. So we'll probably have to watch some more of that tomorrow. But um, <laughs> it's it's worth it. But it's just you know, once again, what the the movies that I've been watching, I've been I've been collecting a lot of three hour movies that I've been meaning to watch, and I haven't watched any of them. I had a whole idea of watching a twenty four hour by myself of three hour plus movies, and I have not even started because just the time commitment on that at the moment with the way that my brain is in uh, lockdown is it's just not been it's not been doable Check that now, one. Yeah. carrying on the list uh there was picture mummy dead or mommy dead as uh, the american and did you watch that with your mother <laughs> i did not actually. <laughs> best opportunity that, Grant, frankly that's um donna michi and jaja gabor and um it's a that's quite a um, a fun little movie there's uh the Night Gallery pilot, which um, is uh, quite famous for the fact that it is the um, the first feature film directing effort of Steven Spielberg, even though it's a anthology and it's uh, he did the middle one with Joan Crawford as his lead. It's um, quite a fun little. Um, it's the pilot of the Night Gallery TV series, which was a Rod Serling anthology show. And um, quite a bit of fun as the um, Roddy McDowell and Ozzie Davis are in the first story and um, Joan Crawford in the Steven Spielberg story and Richard Kiley in the um, the last one. And that's that's well worth a look if you ever, ever get a chance. I feel like I've lost you. Are you guys there? No, we're still there. I'm just not not used to that. People listening, really. (laughs) Yeah, we've Uh, we've cut you off enough times today, so we thought we'll we'll let you you keep going until until eventually you you run out of words. (laughs) Yeah, or my throat gets too dry. Um, uh, I saw Escape Room, which I quite liked. That's quite a solid little um, uh, PG horror film. It's an R13. Have you heard guys heard of that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's two of them actually because the yeah. second one, Tournament of Champions, was just playing cinemas a couple months ago and it got halfway decent reviews. And I'm like, oh god, is this going to be one of those franchises that I eventually have to catch up with, like Final Destination or something? When you have seen th- have passed up three or four, and then you start hearing the fifth one's really good. Yeah, well, well so, I mean, it's, well, it's was, one was 2019, uh, so they've, they've got them out pretty yeah. fast. I, I found it quite as it's quite a solid watch it's um it's not yeah it's again it's 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 not a brilliant movie but it's certainly a entertaining fun it's um unchallenging kind of watch it's uh, it's well worth a look well now, I'm pretty le- sure they're going to make a few of them because it had a nine million dollar budget and it made 155 million dollars in the cinema so guess what that's a franchise starting yeah yeah so, there'll be a few <laughs> of those and uh, this leads me into um, uh, one I'm really looking forward to talking about, The Suckling. <laughs> you mentioned that. Now, you asked me to get around to it, and I haven't watched it message. yet. Yeah. Oh, well, well maybe, maybe that should be some homework, because that is <laughs> one to... Um, I don't know if there's actually that much to unpack, but I just want to share the wrongness, and it's... Uh, uh, but and I don't want to um, uh, to spoil it at all. But wow, it's just it's wonderful. It's um, wonderful in 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 the horrible ways. It's um, it's terribly inept, and yet it has some occasionally good acting. It's got an amazing 
asshole bad guy in there who's uh, sort of a toxic macho bastard. It's um, and it's got a um, a sewer baby. Uh, well, of course it does. <laughs> <laughs> which was its alternate title. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm not even going to give you the storyline. It's uh, we'll um, we'll have a discussion of that another time. No, it's I, one... I, I, I've known it from the poster because, of course, I post posters on my Twitter account, and I put that up before, and I have seen that. I think on its Prime and Prime Video or something that I've seen it passing by, and it's it's quite a, a distinct uh, cover. According to the trivia notes, the 1997 VHS box claimed. <clears throat> The Suckling has been compared to Alien for its claustrophobic intensity and Die Hard for its non-stop action, uh, which I'm calling bullshit on that one without even seeing oh, the movie, yeah. quite frankly. I'm, I'm going to join you in the call of bullshit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I saw some brand new films, Halloween 4 and Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Nice. Um, nice. Um, I hear they're... Um, that's, Wait, get out there, kid. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I was about to be surprised you saw Dream Warriors for the first time. I saw that at a uh, sleepover at my high school. Uh, it was a pretty remarkable uh, moment. <laughs> so I it's Dream Warriors right, so like, it's won the, right. won the um, box set at one of the movie marathons. I won the whole box set and oh, cool. uh, uh, watched it later on. The, the first time I watched it, it didn't really grab me. And the second time it went, no, actually, this is the best of the sequels by a, a huge margin. Thanks it's to Dokken. <laughs> it's what? Sorry? Thanks to Dokken. Oh, the, the, the band that did the uh, Dream Warriors song. Oh, right. I, th- I thought you said it's to Dokken. Uh, I was trying to think. <laughs> it's it's to Dokken of a movie. It's If enough Nightmare on Elm Street movies are made, there'll be one where Freddy is- eventually assembles the Turducken from three people. <laughs> oh, almost certainly. Wow. No, I had a lot of fun with that. It's a um it's quite a fun film. And um and likable characters, it's um yeah, I it's it's really quite good. And and Halloween four I enjoyed quite a lot too. That's I don't the even Danielle... know that, that's Yeah, I I I'd be struggling to think of which one that is. I think I've seen most of them, but I see them in a very random order. So, I'm, you know, I, I kind of know, you know, the original Halloween's is a classic. The second one I find way too dark. It's it's not fun. And then I think the last one we was the Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which made me want to kick my own TV out the window. So, um, <laughs> yes. yeah. And that was the fan. producer's cut we watched as exactly. well. That was supposedly the better of... cut. <laughs> but you've, sk- you've skipped over... Uh, Three more days till Halloween. Oh, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween. Three more days till Halloween. Silver <laughs> Shamrock. Thank you. Stuck in the head for the rest of the night. <laughs> oh, no, that's a tremendous film. That's just wonderful. Exactly. Uh, it's just not a Halloween movie, seriously. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, yeah. But I mean, it was what it was meant to be. <laughs> But Halloween 4, to narrow it down, because this might help you track it, it's the one where Donald Pleasant chews all the scenery. Oh, okay, yeah, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord, wow. It's, there are, there, his first scene, he talks at a normal volume. 
right. only his first scene. <laughs> he, he, it's, it, it, I, he turns it right up to 11 after that. It's just... It's wonderful. It's um, and uh, yeah, Danielle Harris is um, introduced in that one. She's the seven-year-old that uh, that Michael Myers is um, terrorizing, and he's and she is um, turns out Jamie Lee Curtis's um, well, the character from the first and second film. She is Jamie Lee Curtis's character's um, uh, Laurie Strode's daughter ah. and Laurie Strode is killed in a car accident off screen at the beginning of the movie we learn so, um, so that's so, that one so that kind of throws that whole canon uh, thing <laughs> it, it does oh, have a very confusing it's been out of canon apparently uh, basically but uh, I saw another one that um, Darren uh, that's Darren with a Y played at his um, uh, drive-in um, movies the Red Queen kills seven times which is quite quite fun and I needed to put a giallo on my list then um, uh, pre-code film Dr. X starring huh? Lyle Atwell and it's um, it's a three shade technicolor movie I think or uh, there's a proper name for it but there's three colors in it um, so it looks like a color film, only not much. Um, and it has some of the worst comedy relief. And unfortunately, <laughs> comedy relief from the lead character, our hero. So there's a lot of it. But if that wasn't there, it would be a really good film. It's, um, it sets up its horror premise very nicely. It's got some very nice effects. And um, Faye Ray is also in there as well. She's the love interest character. Um, so that's that, uh, that's from 1933. That's um, yeah. and quite enough, a bit. Uh, you know, link those back again because there was a sequel seven years later. I think it was six years, 16 years later, 1989. The Return of Dr. X with uh, Humphrey Bogart in his only horror movie. Yes, it's and it's not a it's a sequel in name only. It's oh, not, yeah. yeah. It's um and then I watched something off um, Pulse. That's um the uh, TVNZ on demand documentary uh, section. They um they were advertising. It just came up on Facebook. Um, Nightmares in red, white, and blue. It's a documentary. On um, on horror, the American horror film from the 1920s to 2008, which was when it was made. It's a rather really large n- remit. Yeah, and it's pretty good too. It's narrated by uh, Lance Henriksen, and uh, it's got the usual talking heads of Joe Dante and Mick Garris and um, and uh, George Romero or George A. Romero. The masters of talking about horror. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and it's it's pretty entertaining, and they um they definitely don't skimp on the gore and the other things, and it's um it's it's worth a look, definitely, and and you can watch it for free if you are a a New Zealand listener listener 
Um, you can uh, watch that on TVNZ On Demand. You just have to put up with a few ads, but they're never longer than 40 seconds, uh, which ain't bad. And then um, brings me to today's watch, which was The Forest, 1982, right. which is a um, a slasher thriller with a different a slasher horror with a difference. And it's it's really it's What's the difference. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> it's not a secret. Okay. It's uh, well, it's 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 what keeps you watching the film. It's essentially you've got people in the woods. They're getting killed in the woods by some ominous figure creeping. And then all of a sudden you see only about 15 minutes into it. No, about half an hour into it. Once our uh, lead characters have gotten to the woods, once we've seen the original lot picked off. We see exactly what is the was stalking them. And then they add another element. But it's um, which which makes it quite interesting and quite weird. And uh, it's um, it's not a great horror film by any means. But the 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 new the different elements that it puts in there are um, make it very interesting and very watchable. It's I know I'm sorry I'm talking in code, but it's (laughs) it's on YouTube and it's worth a look. All right. Um, well, I've programmed Sorry. 190 film, five films for the Auckland Online Film Festival. So, following Darren's lead, I'm going to describe every single one of them. And that's oh, all we've got time for. Thanks very much. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I did program a section of uh, films on forests that were meant as a corrective for all the um, films that protect. Uh, portray forests as horrible evil places and anyone who just wants to chill out there's a documentary on amazon prime called borealis that's a canadian documentary on forests that's i i wish i got stoned because i would just sit there and (laughs) get stoned and watch it because it's just 90 minutes of beautiful forest footage um shot wonderfully edited with nice timing and there's no talking heads there's um people that they've interviewed, but you never see them. You just see the forest and it's just a great little, um, uh, like, and the, and what they say is interesting and you learn a bit, but you can listen or you can tune out as you like. So that, that for somebody who's still getting their, um, comfort on with being outside, which we're technically allowed to do during lockdown. Um, but, um, it's a good way to get some of that without leaving the house. Um, the only other film I was going to actually mention, because, you know, you can go to the website and read all of that stuff. But as uh, I alluded to before, which is Fight of Fury, starring a um, Nepalese Taekwondo, uh, quote unquote, expert named Shuni B, who um, wrote, directed, stars and edited uh, the film, probably wow. all of his feet. Um, it is <laughs> that is a uh, recipe for greatness oh exactly anytime you get that someone doing yeah. that many roles on it, it it never goes wrong does it <laughs> absolutely if you can wear that many hats you deserve to exactly uh, it is it is so special it is so <laughs> um, like you know i i there, there's just it's that it's so hard i think actually in 2021 like 
there's so much information out there about filmmaking it's hard to make a truly naive film unless you're just <laughs> so on your own wavelength that you refuse to even <laughs> open your world up to the idea that you could learn something like, <laughs> and this film embody, you know, I mean, usually when you see a bad film these days, it's like one of these asylum films where it's like, um, you know, it, it's kind of winkingly bad and this doesn't, wink at all um you know it just it, it, maybe it I mean, blinks is it it's doing using both eyes <laughs> uh, no it just stares slack jawed at you <laughs> uh, uh, it uh, it's yeah i mean I, I would recommend actually like in lieu of getting everybody in the same room setting up either a channel z screening or a um facebook uh chat or something and just like oh you know having having a riff along session i mean we could even talk about having a tweet along riff one night one friday night or something um next week or some such but um yeah (laughs) it's it's um yeah there's plenty of classy films in the uh mix but uh fight of fury is one that's kind of closest to my heart as a under the radar um off kilter gem and where, where do we find fight and fight or fury or fight of fury is on tubi now all the films on the auckland online film festival if you go to the website again tinyurl.com slash aoff 2021 uh will bring you to the letterbox page and if you click the read notes button uh under each film it says what platform it's on and in some cases oh, provides a link to it so um and also like uh our video actually for all the films that they're carrying they've actually helpfully created an auckland online film festival section with 26 of those so like um they have a let, let them all talk which is the really um great next to most recent uh steven soderbergh for oh, film with meryl, uh, meryl streep yeah have you seen that i haven't no it's um yeah it's really good it's um it's uh she's a aging writer who um wants to go accept this prize is supposedly working on this new book that might not get done uh winds up on the queen mary 2 and invites along two of her college friends who she hasn't seen for ages one in particular played by candace bergen who has a um, deep enmity towards her and so it's and the other um one is played by diane uh weist or weist so and then lucas hedges is her nephew who is just kind of uh, who I th- is kind of playing cousin Greg from Succession in it actually? I think. Oh wow! And uh, and Gemma Chan is her agent who's on there, and um, the uh, yeah, and it, and just I mean, it, Steven Soderbergh sometimes does weird shit on iPhones and stuff when he shoots his movies, and this this is almost one of those movies that makes you go fuck you because it's like, oh yeah, when you want to shoot something beautiful, you can, and I mean to be fair, you know, you've got the Queen Mary too, you've got, and they shot it on. Uh, a crossing and and basically they just said um hey if anyone wants to be extras in the movie sign up and so they shot around you know everyone who was on the boat and um yeah so you get that lived experience of it um soderbergh's a big fan of that show below deck that gets into um cruise ships you know how they actually run in the crew and stuff so there's a little bit of that but not too much it mostly focuses on these characters and it's pretty loosey goosey. There's a lot of improv. There's an overall 
kind of story structure um, and the characters are driving a place in some scene, but it's just a, mostly about the ride. Oh, that sounds fun. And, and what um, platform is that one on? Uh, that's on Aro Video's uh, VOD, so you'd have to pay a rental for it as opposed to getting it for free. Ah. But um, but there's quite a few um, films that they rent that you can't get any place. There's the new the new Ben Wheatley, for instance, uh, in the Earth just released there. So, um, ah, right. you know, and if if you know if New Zealand Film Festival had had an option to buy a ticket for that, I would have done that. So instead, I'll be renting it from um, Aro Video. I remember running across the trailer for that one and kind of going, well, this looks weird. And then it came up with Ben Wheatley at the end. And I literally said out loud, oh, that explains it. So (laughs) (laughs) I've never known what to to make of Ben Wheatley's films because some of them I really like. And then there's there's always bits in it where I kind of go, I like the film, but all of a sudden I'm I'm getting dragged in a direction I didn't really want to go. And sometimes right. it drags you back in that other direction. Sometimes you get uh, we end off on a, a tangent as if you've managed to get on a, you know, you were driving along nicely on a on a movie motorway and you've suddenly ended up on an off ramp and you're in the, the wrong part of town. So, um, yeah, I've never really, you know, I've enjoyed watching his movies and I do watch them, but I'm never really sure that I'm going to enjoy them and get into them. And I'm never really sure I enjoy them when I've finished watching them, which is <laughs> good to you. I keep watching them, Ben. So. <laughs> well, Reese yeah, Smith like is... Um, Back in this one too, it's um, I'm quite looking forward to watching that. And um, Reese Shearsmith of Inside Number Nine and League of Gentlemen and uh, just many great comedy wrongness. Psychoville as well. It's... I haven't seen much of that, but I have seen um, uh, bits of in League England. of Gentlemen, which I've actually found very disturbing. And yeah, Field oh, of gosh. England's a funny one because that that feels like a film I should really love, but didn't. And um, I'm looking forward to revisiting it because it's on that big box set of um, yes. Severin folk horror films that will sometime hopefully make its way across the Pacific, assuming that uh, the U.S. Postal Service isn't responsible for sending it. Um, <laughs> well, well they took our money, so... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to start driving this towards a close, but you guys have any last things that you uh, want to share before we um, well, I just close want to share one here? Thing. So I've been looking at my letterbox list and I really, I didn't have too many more movies I wanted to talk about, but I did want to point out just how odd my double feature uh, tends to be when I have a double feature. Cause a lot of time I haven't been watching four or five movies like I quite often used to pre lockdown because work's been kicking my ass because I sell alcohol uh, and alcohol during a lockdown is like the end of the world has come and everyone needs it, no matter how many weeks you're into it. So it's basically mean, like we've been having Friday nights three times a week and Christmas Eve, you know, once a month. But oh, when I, yeah, but when I have sat down to watch double features of movies, I'm just having a look at them now and how odd my double features are. And this will not surprise you two. It may surprise our listener. Uh, I had a double feature back in September of Jackie Chan's Fearless Hyena, followed by Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, uh, which I think quite the disparity between those two films <laughs> that's standard uh, for you though pretty much for me yeah uh scream followed by ninja the final duel which was not oh, the nice. seen recently followed the next day by a double feature of the brides of dracula to get my hammer on and emmanuel to the joys of a woman um <laughs> brides of dracula got a slightly higher rating uh but um i'm gonna say emmanuel to joys of a woman nice cinematography <laughs> And that's, Excellent. That's really oh, the good. lighting was good. That's... Good lighting, beautiful locations once again, and <laughs> um, plot was written on the back of a postage stamp. But um, 
you know, it's a skin flick. What are you expecting? Uh, there is actually a third Emmanuel film I have to watch, but apparently it's not very good. Um, so, and then a lot of knockoffs. But I'm you have to watch them in order, though, don't you? Yeah, otherwise, you can't pick up the story. Otherwise, you can't, can't maintain that that tiny, tiny sort of a plot that you know, that goes through them. <laughs> uh, when I did Singing in the Rain, I actually backed it up with Kiss Me Deadly, uh, which I, first time I'd seen Kiss Me Deadly. Really? Such a great film. Ridiculous. Wow. I knew Darren would like that because you're a Spillane fan. You're a Mickey Spillane fan of, uh, you know, the uh, the Hammer movies and TV series. Indeed. And, yeah, fantastic film. So really good noir with an ending which, uh, yeah, was a, came right into out of nowhere once again from the 1950s was surprisingly brutal. Oh, and Cloris Leachman at the beginning is is just yeah. great, too. Film, I think it was. The very first film, of course. Yeah. And what did I back Manhunter up with? Gamera 2, Attack of the Legion, uh, which was a Gamera film. I'd heard good things about it. It wasn't my favourite, but I'm, I've always been a Godzilla fan, not a Gamera fan. Mm-hmm. And then the one I do want to talk about briefly, the highest-rated movie that I had, and it backed up Scary Movie. And my one five-star movie rewatch of the lockdown so far, 1985's Nine Deaths of the Ninjas. And... Um, oh, the Shokasugi. Huh. It is Shokasugi. And I watched that because I looked back and I saw that I watched it something like six, seven years ago, and I gave it a five-star rating, and I went, well, that must have just been me dicking around. And then I read my review of it, and then I watched the movie and realized why I gave it a five-star review. So I'm just going to verbatim read my letterbox review, if that's okay with you. Good. That's true. Well, why not? Why not? We can stop you. Disclaimer the star rating is for entertainment value, not filmmaking prowess, technical skill, or acting ability. One of the best Z grade ninja films I've seen recently, and I've seen a lot of Godfrey Ho films recently. When a busload of tourists are taken hostage by a wheelchair bound neo Nazi, his massively afroed hench mama, Honey Hump, their jocular seven foot <laughs> Indian jaw substitute, and a band of Amazonian revolutionaries, along with the world's least effective rapist, the U.S. sends in the best rescue squad they have. A ninja, a douchebag who visibly flinges every time he fires a gun, and a woman who appears <laughs> drunk in every scene she filmed. Hilarity and explosions ensue. <laughs> oh, wow. This, this, is, this is my favorite bit here. I, I, I do like this bit. Bonus points for midget kung fu, a three-foot fall of death, James Bond-like opening titles, Rare sightings of a swarm of native Filipino cave ninjas, a man with a sparkler apparently stored in his ass, and an appearance by an actor who would go on to win an Oscar. Not for this movie, of course. <laughs> so he's using Amazons again, or Filipino Amazons. It's Filipino. Yeah, it's it's got a weird scene, but they get into a cave and they get a, they get attacked by Filipino uh, natives apparently, and then they go into a cave and they get attacked by cave ninjas, literal ninjas, <laughs> in a cave for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> It is uh, Shokasuki's best, and by what I mean, most utterly insane movie that I've ever seen. It is just a wonderful, wonderful piece of, of 80s exploitation. The, as I say, the, the least effective rapist is the one that uh, a uh, one of the small children on board the bus, who is one of Shokasuki's two sons, who get to appear in this film and do some kind of kung fu themselves. Sets fire to his pants, so the special effect is they literally stick a sparkler or a, some, a Roman candle in the back of his pants and have him run off shooting sparks out of his ass. That's just the tip of the iceberg of just wow. how much fun you have with this movie. And I'd, the I'd forgotten so much tip. of it. I really had forgotten much. That, that review of it barely even 
touches that the, the midget fight scene is insane because they basically just got a group of Filipino midgets and said, obviously said, who knows Kung Fu? And they kind of went, yeah, we do, but none of them do. And then had them fight our douchebag hero. I, I, I watched two Cynthia Rothrock's movies during this, but I think I had more fun in that couple of minutes than I did in the Cynthia Rothrock movies. And I fucking love the Cynthia Rothrock movies, <laughs> you know, because every time wow. a face absolutely kicked, you get Cynthia Rothrock. If you want to laugh at somebody kicking midgets around, and that's not a politically correct thing to say, you get this because you can't be offended by it when it is that stupid a scene and it is almost willfully stupid, but it's played completely straight. But you also have an actor who screams every one of his lines in a, it's supposed to be a German accent, but by the time you get to the 80 minute mark, he's done every accent in the European, <laughs> from South America. And oh, that is awesome. just a joy. Absolutely. Well, it joy. sounds like we need to double feature that with your film, um, with Fists and Fury. Or... <laughs> True, yeah, Fists and Fury. I think, I think I'd approve of that. Oh, definitely. And it's, oh, wow. Uh, and enough, uh, the, the neo-Nazi actor, who, the neo-Nazi uh, character, is played by Blackie Dammit, who was in one of your favorite films, Darren, The Lost Empire. Oh! The Jim Wynorski boobs and... Yeah. and craziness movie from the 80s so uh, yeah apparently anytime i see this guy going and he was in lethal weapon apparently as well but he's when you look at some of the things here anytime you want an an insane piece of 80s exploitation you just look to see what blackie dammit did so um <laughs> brilliant well the, the one i want to um uh, mention is um well i'll um i know that you'll um recognize this one uh skeets if i just say catchphrase <laughs> <laughs> yep i i definitely know what you're talking what, about <laughs> what a joy free guy, free guy. is yes. not expecting it to be as much fun as it was god damn it's, it's just a joy of a film it's just yeah it is the it's the lockdown solution if you're um if you want to see something uh, greatly overproduced and very slick, but still just fun and yeah. and quite and very witty, there's some great lines in there and Taika Waititi playing Taika Waititi. <laughs> it's uh, but very funnily. Um, I'm just going to say I walked away from this film three separate times while Sarah had to watch it, and every single time Taika Waititi was on screen. <laughs> oh. oh. Whatever he's doing in this film, uh, I I mean, it just to me, I mean, I don't mean to piss on your parade, but it just it the whole thing felt like a director that had no control of his actors. And it's like, hey, we've got an AI. Why don't we get Hollywood's most famous random improviser to play it? Brian Reynolds. Great. And then Taika just kind of apparently there's a whole 45 minute cut of Taika's deleted scenes. <laughs> Oh wow! You see, you're just not pissing on my parade because I've got a fucking umbrella. So, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm right. It's a long fucking parade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well we I, I'm glad going? you guys. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. But man, I just, um, I found it a real struggle. And uh, maybe having just rewatched the Matrix as as well, it felt like overly, kind of familiar in ways and as a, as, a lifelong, as a lifelong video gamer both and with a, a video gamer son who's a better video gamer than i am already 
just we just just the the constant referencing in the background. We are going to have to rewatch the movie just to kind of pick up on some of the jokes that we missed because, right, it felt like a movie made by gamers for gamers. And I have met other people who have loved it who have never played a video game in their life, but for for video gamers, it's it was, you know, it was Grand Theft Auto slash you know Saints Row crossover. When I first saw the first trailer, I went, oh my god, they've made Saints Row, and name you know and name only. It's but it is for. It was just exactly what we were hoping for, an incredibly funny and at times incredibly dumb but incredibly smart mm. movie all in the same page. And just a week or two later, I, I won merch from Free Guy at oh my. Uh, my, uh, local, um, well, my local theatre where I am in, um, in Howick. Uh, was running a competition and I won a, a Free Guy cap. A, um, a free guy um, reusable mug, a notebook, and a free guy T-shirt, which is the um, the uniform he has in the bank, with a um, with a tie and the um, guy nameplate and that sort of thing. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm proud. <laughs> <laughs> My disappointment is I only get to see it in the cinema because I think I really would have loved seeing you know. I would have loved to have seen that on the screen. Because I, I haven't seen, I've seen. I think I've seen literally, apart from the movie marathon, one movie in this on the big screen this year that I paid for because of at the start of the year, you know, it was awkward. But things were happening. With, you know, we're heading towards the film festival, and then everything shut down, and it's just kind of the chances of getting to the cinema have been so reduced. But I would love yeah. to see it. I've seen Godzilla vs Kong on the IMAX, and that was the only time I was in a, uh, an actual legitimate theater in 2021 so far. And the way we're going with our case numbers, I'm not sure we're going to be seeing another one before 2022 rolls around. Well, it's so yeah, sad. I mean, and technically, when we uh, migrate to the red uh, element of the thing, so if we it, it can, they can open to like 50 or 100 person max at um, cinemas. But I just still don't see a lot of these places having the lobby space for social distancing yeah. or the ventilation standards, which is uh, it's way too late for me to start going down that hobby horse too hard. But that's something that I think has been really underestimated in the risk profile. But I mean, I, just to put it in perspective, John sales, uh, the great filmmaker who made, uh, you know, Lone Star and eight men out and mate one and limbo and a number of other films uh-huh. and also wrote uh piranha i think it was for <laughs> back in the day <laughs> oh and alligator. Alligator. yeah so he had a um big retrospective in um paris that he just uh went to so he flew over went to the cinematheque francais there's all these great pictures of him not wearing a mask at the opening and introducing his oh, films oh. and coming home with covid because everyone's like oh we're double vaxxed what's to worry yeah. about and it's like yep. well you still get breakthrough cases and you can still get you die from breakthrough cases or get long COVID, which is the one I'm more worried about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have a, um, I mean, you guys know how passionate I am about the theatrical experience, but I have a lot of, um, yeah, wariness about going back. And at least like someplace like the Hollywood is so big and they're redoing their roof and stuff. And hopefully that means new ventilation stuff, but like, I don't know the Academy man. Mm. Yeah, the lobby's oh, that very small. The cinemas are small. You know, I, I yeah. currently work in a place where we only let five people into a quite a decent size space in our store, and I'm double back. Yeah, I do not take my mask off. 
And if there's a sixth person gets in there, I get quite upset. And if people have forgotten social distancing already because we've only been doing this for 10 weeks and people are practically up yeah, yeah. their ends, queuing like they used to. And we're spending the whole day going, can you take a couple of steps back? And they go, why, why? On the seat, you know, you're not in their bubble, yeah. take a few steps back, you know. And it's uh, we, if for the moment we become complacent, it's it's all on again. So, you know, I, I just go out as what people, as I say, I'm on my Facebook, on my Twitter page all the time. Get the jab if you're in New Zealand. It doesn't take long. You don't feel it. You, you feel like your arm's got a hangover. You might get a few, you know, you might not be so good at the second decks, but it's going to be worth it. We have to do it because we're not going to get back to the normal. We're going to get back to some sort of new normal eventually. We're never going to get back to where we were in 2019. We were sailing along going, ah, yeah, that what? COVID, what? No, never heard of it. You know, now it's the talk. Well, COVID, we thought was a bear. It's, yeah. uh, oh no, that was Corona. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, <it> <laughs> <laughs> wrong spelling. <laughs> uh, good old Corona. How's the sales of Corona been lately? Uh, well, same as always. I mean, let's face it. It's uh, apparently it lost a shit ton of money before it even came along because they they put into cans to make it taste better, and everyone in America rejected it because then there was you're getting cheap on us. You're not putting it in glass bottles, and it was kind of like, oh, well, there goes eighty three million dollars that year in profit. And then a long time, and it probably, I think COVID probably actually saved it because people probably started buying it ironically. <laughs> I would think <laughs> down simply because you you don't have to buy it; you can just w- walk inside with a whole bunch of people and you can catch it. Exactly, get a get a whole case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get a, <laughs> oh God, is that All a right. go out on? <laughs> That is quitting time. Yes. Uh, well, it's been okay. uh, it's been interesting. Um, I'm not sure if it's been entertaining or, or coherent, but it's been interesting, guys. Yeah. Well, and when they look at this and see that it's over to almost two and a half hours, we Jeez. they probably won't have found out either. So, uh, till next time, to our listener, it's been ludicrously specific. Good night.